This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the umber and burnt mahogany flowing locks of Adam Wrigley's divine scalp, this is Behind the Bots, the moisturizing podcast that's rich in vitamins A and D, and that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And tell a friend, we really appreciate all of your support. Before we get to the show, I have a very special announcement. We're giving away a brand new Viper Combat Robotics Kit with the Vertical Spinner add-on from our sponsor, FingerTech Robotics. FingerTech has upgraded both its vertical and horizontal spinner attachments. The vertical spinner now features a clamping drum design made with AR400 teeth, and the horizontal spinner now comes with a titanium blade and stronger weapon mount. Both spinners are now powered by a custom brushless weapon motor with four millimeter shaft. We'll post details about how to enter on our Facebook page with entries due by the end of this month, so stay tuned. Uh, asking for a friend, uh, can co-hosts of Behind the Bots enter to win? Uh, no, they can't, Lindsay. Oh, darn. <laughs> We're going to have to buy those kits with our own money. <laughs> Time now for yet another round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 37 people participate in Snap Decisions, Four of us managed to call six out of seven fights correctly. Those four were Joseph Somers, Jared Lacombe, Mike Olson, and me. Taking a closer look at the data, the sure shot last week was Perfect Phoenix versus Adam94, with 35 out of 37 people correctly predicting that Perfect Phoenix would win. The biggest upset was Gruff versus Extinguisher, with just one out of 37 people correctly predicting that Extinguisher would win. All right, let's run through this week's fight card. I can't wait to hear your predictions. This is a weird one. Are you ready, Chris, Lindsay, Kyle? Yep. All Bring right. On. Uh, first fight of the night, uh, Uppercut versus Hydra. Really explosive match right out of the gate. Gotta wonder why this is not a main event. Kyle, your prediction here. This doesn't last long. Mm. I, don't even, I don't even really know which way this is going to go. This doesn't last long, right? There's two scenarios here. One, uppercut runs in and just busts the side of Hydra open. There's only one Hydra, which means that Jake probably immediately just stops moving so that he can repair whatever's left of the bot. 
for the rest of the tournament. Two, Jake's able to chuck uh, uppercut through the air. Hydra's able to chuck uppercut through the air. An uppercut lands on the floor so hard while spinning so fast it breaks itself. Either way, this thing ends quickly. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call it for uppercut, but that could very easily not be the case. Mm, uppercut. All right. Chris, Lindsay? Uppercut has become one of my you know, top three favorite bots in BattleBots, and I, uh, I really do hope that it is able to go all the way this season. That said, it's not designed to beat Hydra. Hydra is designed to beat bots more like Uppercut. Uh, I don't know who's going to win the the wedge game, uh, but I, I have a, I just have a strong feeling that Hydra is going to somehow get under Uppercut and Uppercut. We've seen tumble and tumble and tumble. It's almost kind of has that like indestructible death roll quality to it, but I just don't know how well it can handle landing from a, a twenty foot drop. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Hydra. Okay, Hydra. How about you, Lindsay? Uh, it'll be interesting to see like how Uppercut's weapon is able to connect with Hydra because it, it might be a little bit higher than most of Hydra is since it's so low to the ground, uh, which I think will will be a, a large deciding factor. But that being said, I'm going to go with Uppercut because I think, uh, I think they're going to figure out a way to get it done. But we don't know what Jake is going to bring. We we know that he said in uh, our interview with him that he dismantled the bike rack to do something else with it. So it's entirely possible he's got something else up his sleeve. Uh, this is going to be a true split prediction uh, because I will be joining Chris with Hydra. I do think something sneaky will come out on Thursday uh, from Jake Ewert. And obviously, even if even if he comes out with stock uh, Hydra, this will be all about the ground game. And I think that he has the ground scraping attachment necessary to get under uppercut consistently and um, hopefully launch that that robot into the air. I think if there is any kind of gyro motion um, from the front of uppercut, Hydra will uh, exploit that. And I, I'm going to agree with Kyle. I think this is going to be a very fast match. All right. On over to Sablaze versus Rusty. Kyle, your call. Poor Rusty. Oh, Rusty. Poor, poor Rusty. Um, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and call this one for Sablaze. And uh, I'm also going to call this one Sad. <laughs> Chris, Lindsay, this is a tough one. I mean, these are these are two incredible bots and uh, and two incredible teams. Um, uh, you might almost have to come back to me. I tell you what. I tell you what. Let's put some extra. Let's put some extra stank on this one. Okay. Let's also predict how long the match is going to go. Is it going to is it going to be between one minute and two minutes or is it going to be between two minutes and three minutes or even it goes the full three minutes and it goes to a you know a a a judge's decision what do we what do we think going back to you kyle uh this is under a minute (laughs) 
Chris, uh, so does this mean that you're going with Sawblaze, but you want to predict how, how many how many seconds it's going to go for? Yes. I predict that Sawblaze will win, but I predict that Rusty's going to hang in there for more than two minutes. Okay. So between two minutes and three minutes. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, your prediction. You guys, I think Rusty is going to win this one. I know I'm a, a Sabe and all, but... <laughs> Have you, are, you, are, you, are you becoming a Rustifarian? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I am secondarily a Rustifarian, but primarily, first and foremost, a, Sab a Sabe, which... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that Rusty hangs in, though, and I think it's going to go to the judges. Okay. Uh, I'm also going to say Sawblaze, um, and uh, I'm going to make a stretch prediction that uh, Sawblaze cuts through Rusty's poor little head. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why are they doing this? Why would they make, why would they do this to me and to everybody yeah. and to Rusty? It's terrible. I mean, Rusty faced... Uh, Beta last time. Rusty should be facing Grabot. Let's be real. I mean, listen. <laughs> I I love Rusty. I love Grabot. I don't want to see Rusty and Grabot being disabled, like just picked apart by these amazing spaceship rocket ship robots. That's I don't know. It's almost not fun, right? You're with me on this. It's also like. Two two very beloved bots that are now pitted against each other in a, in an unfair fight. All right. Uh, okay. Speaking of which, uh, tantrum versus gamma nine. Kyle, your prediction here. You know, I um, I want to say that this is not going to be as one sided as you think it's going to be, but uh, I, I'm not going to say that because that would be wrong. That would be incorrect. Uh, right. This is going to go to Tantrum. Gamma 9 is awesome. Uh, it's a cool bot. And uh, it might have a chance in, you know, 1999, 2000. Uh, but it doesn't have a chance right now. Okay. Uh, Savage. Chris, Lindsay. Uh, tantrum has shown that it is a tough little reliable bot this season. And I'm going to go with Tantrum. Okay. Tantrum. Lindsay. Uh, I'm going with Tantrum. Tantrum. Clean sweep. I will also go with Tantrum. Okay, on over to our fourth fight of the night. Amazing fight. Yeah. Hypershock versus Endgame. This is a big one. Kyle, your prediction here. This is going to be so much fun. Um, this one completely and totally split my kids down the middle. Uh, when I asked them about the fights, they were like, ooh, you know, I think it's going to be Hypershock. No, I think it's going to be Endgame. They were like yelling back and forth about it. Uh, I'm going with Endgame. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's a Hypershock fight. Hypershock could, like, turn on God mode and totally win this thing by driving circles around the other person. They could also turn on, um, you know, s squash mode and forget to plug in their weapon. We don't know. Okay. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, your prediction here? My prediction is that Hypershock is going to, in fact, get the special star from 
Mario Brothers and is going to knock out Endgame. Wow. Lindsay, your prediction. Uh, I'm going to go with just general reliability history and, and give it to Endgame, but it would be super cool to see uh, Will pull this out and uh, get a win for Hypershock. I am also going to go with the Kiwis. Uh, I think that Jack Barker is an incredible driver, um, perhaps as good a driver as Will Bales. We've seen slightly better reliability out of that robot. I also think that um, weapon weapon weight, weapon reach will, um, will be key here. Um, and I think that it's going to come down to whatever bot is, is more dialed in. I don't know. The, the thing I really like about this matchup is that both of these robots are very custom. Uh, Endgame is virtually completely custom on the inside. Hypershock is is incredibly custom on the inside. Um, these are two really good drivers, two really good bots. It could really go either way. Um, but um, but I'm leaning toward, toward Endgame. Uh, okay. On over to P1 versus Snee. The long boy versus the fast boy. Your thoughts, Kyle? This is going to be so much fun, whatever ends up happening. Um, I'm going to give it to Smee. Okay. Uh, with the caveat that, you know, we don't, we have no idea what's going to happen in this fight. It's totally bizarre and really weird. There's no rock, paper, scissors <laughs> analogy that even comes close to fitting it. Um, but I don't see that flipper being able to uh, do anything but noodle Smee, not really flip it. And I don't really think uh, the damage points are going to go to the bot with no spinners. So without any other kind of information to go off of, I'm going to give it to me. Mm. Chris, Lindsay? You know, like how in like a 90s action movie or in Dukes of Hazard, there would be that like perfectly placed like uh, like tow truck that would have the ramp on the back next to the sports car who's like trying to make a getaway. Yeah. We finally get that in in this match. Uh, you know, I've been waiting for the right bot to go up against me that would potentially be able to um, to make it up over that wedge. And you know, we 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 didn't see it in Charco. We didn't see it in its other match. And and now we might actually get to see, of course, the race car themed bot be able to use me as a uh, as a, as a springboard for a a slow motion action movie sequence. So. Yeah, I, I think that P1 is actually going to be able to pull this off because he's going to be able to get over Smee. I love it. Lindsay, your thoughts? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to say P1. Really? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to say P1. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you feel very confident about that prediction? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. However, that is what my gut is telling me, and so I will follow the ways of my gut. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to join you in the SME camp, um, <laughs> and I'm going to uh, I'm going to reveal that I have a tiny bit of inside information. What? Oh, that's not fair. Well, it, listen. Listen, Joe Fabiani shouldn't have told me, okay? I am a journalist, all right? We do run 
a public podcast, all right? Mm -hmm. What he said, and I mean, this is not a huge surprise, is that his robot improves its reliability throughout the season. So you're going to see better performance from his spinners. We saw virtually no performance from the spinners in his fight against Sharko. We saw his spinners pop off in its fight against Pain Train. And my hope is that Smee's spinners are working and fast uh, for this match. Of course, I don't know. Uh, maybe Joe was uh, giving me some misdirection. Maybe his spinners could be complete trash. Who knows? Uh, but I, I have faith in that bot. And uh, just kind of the rock, paper, scissors of it, unless P1 can get around to the back of Smee, which isn't impossible. I mean, Brandon Zelensky is a very good driver and it's a very fast bot. But even if he did and he started to flip uh, with that front hinge flipper, I just think that the physics of Smee with its floppy, weird body, like really isn't going to be able to do much. Um, and I, I think I think we we may see uh, some more destruction out of those, those drive pods. All right, on over to Rabot. Versus Beta. What is going on with Beta, you guys? Is Beta like top of the heap, like super killer uh, that should be facing bots like Rotator? Or is it a rusty Grabot killer? I, I don't understand uh, this matchup. Kyle, your thoughts. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Okay. All right. This team in a pandemic came all the way here from Great Britain. They um, brought an exquisite version of Vita. Just gorgeous, perfectly put together. Pneumatic, the most powerful version of a hammer bot, period, the end, that John Reed has ever built. And I think that the selection committee has a little bit of a bias here. Yep, I'm going to go ahead and say it. But I'm going to go ahead and say they're not wrong for having this bias. And they're saying, these folks drove all this way. We're going to make sure they get into the round of 32 before we really test them. Oh, Kyle. For shame. What? That's what I think. I mean, sure, they're justifying it by giving them, you know, the, the rotator fight. Okay. But they knew that they could survive going up against heavy spinners. I mean, A, John Reed builds incredibly durable bots. They know what those wedges are made out of. Famously, they always said that, you know, he built his bots out of the same stuff you make the Robot Wars arena out of uh, mm -hmm. back on the, in the Robot Wars days. Uh, that's just a nice way of saying hard ox or AR-500. Um, but they knew we'd be able to survive the rotator fight, and uh, I think that they gave him that and then gave him these two squash matches because they wanted to make sure... He at least went two, two and one into the round of 32. Now, the um, weird thing is the rotator match came after Rusty and, and Grabot. Correct. So, so, like, why did they run the rotator fight in the beginning? Is it because, like, kind of the theme for the first four or five episodes is controversial judges' decision? Yeah, I think they wanted to get the controversial judges' decision thing out of the way so we weren't focused on it the entire season, you know? <laughs> I think that if we saw him squash Rusty's butt in the first match and then presumably squash Grabot's poor little grabby hands off in the second match and then not fire the hammer at all in the rotator match, people would say, oh, he's limping into the top 32, right? Correct. Okay, I see. 
I, um, I understand. This is a yeah. very conspiratorial, uh, you know. Yeah, this is 100% wild speculation, but I mean, they're still humans and they're probably so happy slash feel really, really um, indebted to John Reed and the team um, for, you know, making the journey, making the trip, dealing with all the quarantine, dealing with all of that, bringing this amazing bot that they wanted to make sure they didn't just get three fight night fights and then, you know, have to go back to Great Britain and spend another two weeks in quarantine and whatnot. They wanted to make sure that they, they had a fully functional bot for the round of 32 and were able to like really compete in the tournament itself. That's my guess. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I think that, uh, that as a selection committee trying to put on a good show, and trying to treat their competitors with respect, I think that that is the right call. Okay. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, are you going with David or Goliath? I actually have some insider information as well, Luke. Ooh, and, good. Yeah, John Reed told me that he gave Greg and Trey $100,000 in cash <laughs> in, 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 in a, a small briefcase that he had to slide into one of the uh, into the porta potties at located at the arena, and that is how he's gotten this lineup. Oh, I see. Okay, so you're going to go with Beta, is that correct? Yeah, and he also told me that he won the giant nut. No spoilers or anything, but. <laughs> uh, all right, Lindsay, uh, what what's your prediction here? Uh, yeah, Beta. Uh, good. And uh, I, I am also going to go with Beta. All right, on over to our main events. Such a good main event. Valkyrie, the monster undercutter from space versus Whiplash. Tried and true, amazing driving, and uh, really tough robots. Um, so your thoughts here, Kyle? Oof. This is going to be a great fight, no matter what. I don't know. I know that it will be, they're probably going to do Sour Caroline or Sweet Caroline, uh, Valkyrie is, so they have quick spin up because they're going to need it against such a fast and good driver um, in Maddie Vasquez. Whew. And if they can get an opportunity to get that thing spun up, there's some juicy, juicy wheels that they could get after. And we've seen Whiplash have issues with horizontal spinners in the past. Mm. I'm going to call this one for Valkyrie. I, I hate betting against Matty Vasquez and Whiplash in any circumstance, but I think the rock, paper, scissors of this makes me want to give it to Valkyrie. Okay. Chris? Uh, if Matty Vasquez drives like he did in his last match, I, I think it's going to be a very difficult match for for Valkyrie to pull off. Um, that said, I'm in that same school of philosophy that Kyle just mentioned. You know, if, if Valkyrie is able to spin up, it's 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 a bot that's like designed, you know, to really get at those wheels, get at them quickly. I don't predict that this is actually going to go the full three minutes, and. Um, you know, I, I I do think that Valkyrie is actually going to apply that undercutter, uh, and 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 take that to victory. Um, uh, but I'm I'm I'd be delighted to see uh, Whiplash pull it off. Hey, Rinzi, your thoughts? Uh, I'm gonna maybe be a little controversial here, and I'm gonna say Whiplash. 
I think that they're going to take a beating and I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think ultimately they will be able to control the match a little bit better and through their control, maybe stop the blade of Valkyrie from like continually spinning up and maybe getting some damage in on uh, Valkyrie. So for that reason, I'm saying whiplash. I, uh, I think if it was any other driver, other than Matt Vasquez, I think that it would just go straight rock, paper, scissors. You have to drive perfectly for three minutes or else Valkyrie's giant blade is going to attack your wheels. Um, however, I think that we're going to see three minutes of perfect driving from Matt Vasquez on Thursday um, and hopefully come out with a really big plow attachment that is capable of stopping Valkyrie's blade or having it bounce around the box and really try and keep Valkyrie in a corner and hopefully have that, that bot break its own blade. We've seen amazing reliability this season from Valkyrie. So that in itself is a really tall order. However, I think that Matt Vasquez knows what he needs to do in this fight and um, is absolutely up to the challenge. All right. If you want to send us your predictions for Thursday night's fights, look for our fight card post Wednesday night on Facebook and get in on this round of Snap Decisions. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, applications are now open for BattleBots Season 6. We've got Greg Munson coming on the show in just a little bit to talk about the application process and what goes into the perfect application. So if you've always wanted to get on BattleBots, listen for those tips and send in your application soon. Last year, the show got nearly 500 applications from teams all over the world. BattleBots has not yet announced when or if Season 6 will happen. BattleBots Bounty Hunters returns to Discovery Plus tomorrow, Thursday, February 11th, with legendary bots Tombstone and Beta. Tombstone will face the winner of an eight-bot mini-tournament of Gruff, Gemini, Deadlift, Jackpot, Kraken, Claw Viper, Smee, and Mammoth, while Beta will face the winner of an eight-bot mini-tournament of Lockjaw, Axe Backwards, Rampage, Fusion, Aegis, Bloodsport, Slamo, and Hijinks. Fun fact, first televised look at Rampage. Greg also clarified that they gave away a total of $150,000 at BattleBots Bounty Hunters with every team that participated earning at least $1,000 for signing up. Uh, the show has said that the winner of each kind of bounty fight of which there are six of will win a uh, part of $25,000. I think there was some speculation online that maybe it was $25,000 across all six of these um, legendary fights. In fact, each one um, splits that money um, among nine builders, which is really great. Uh, Greg talks more about the prize purse in our interview, which is coming up. Your thoughts on BattleBots Bounty Hunters? Um, I like the direction that they're going in with this second release of bounty hunters fights because we are going to see bots that have already competed in the tournament. They've been dialed in. Uh, they're ready to go. I felt like those last two rounds of bounty hunters fights were unfair to the bounty in the mm -hmm. sense that they brought bots that, um, you know, were ready to fight in the first fight of a battle bots tournament, which we all know you've got the growing pains. You got the gremlins to get out. Um, 
and they put them up against all these bots who had already been through a whole tournament. They were all dialed in. They were all ready to go. They, you know, it's it's not a fair uh, setup, especially I feel like with with Bronco and um, with uh, Ice Wave. Ice Wave hadn't been in the box all year. Bronco hadn't been in the box all year. It's tough to do your first matchup against a bot that uh, has already presumably been into the round of 32 you know we don't know but presumably the the bots that made it to the end of the the bounty hunters tournaments made it to the round of 32 so um it, it's hard to imagine a bot with with no stick time and no box time could win in that circumstance mm, well said kyle and finally, a number of BattleBots competitors took home top prizes at Norwalk Havoc this past weekend. Sawblaze Captain Jameson Go took home first place in the 30-pound full combat division with his articulated Sawbot Megatron. Copperhead team member Luke Quintal took home first place at the 12-pound full combat division with his scary and chonky WalkerBot Kitten Mittens. P1 Captain Brandon Zelinski took home first place with the 12-pound sportsman bot P12. And Pain Train Captain Evan Arias took home first place in the three-pound division with his egg beater Shredded Bro. Norwalk Havoc returns on March 20th with another delirium-inducing but very fun 13-hour live stream from Kyle and me. All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode nine. This was all about the one-on-one bots. Of the 14 bots competing last week, eight entered the box with a, at a one-on-one record, hoping to improve to two-in-one. That made this fight card really difficult to predict for and made for some really exciting matchups. All right, so let's get into our first one-on-one fight of the night. Captain Shredder versus Shatter. Shatter came out with its blacked out look, ditching the shiny triangles in favor of black UMHW plastic ablative armor with past battle damage from Shatter's previous matches this season against Ghost Raptor and Malice. It's clear that at this point in the tournament, Shatter captain Adam Wrigley wasn't happy about his controversial loss to Malice and instead took a page out of Beta's book and refused to fire his bot's hammer for the first 90 seconds of this match, which Captain Schraderator dominated tossing Shatter around and really controlling the pace. But the tide turned as soon as Shatter started landing hits, killing Captain Shredderator's shell, prompting Brian Ave to ask himself, why do we always do that? Unanimous decision for Shatter and perhaps a little redemption for Beta by extension. Your thoughts on this fight? It's exactly how I saw it playing out. Really? Um, yeah, not to congratulate myself, but you know, <laughs> I, I knew uh, that Shatter was going to... Um, you know, use that that front wedge mercilessly to continue to like go face to face with Shredderator until it you know it had that opportunity to start landing some blows and and that's exactly what he did. Captain Shredderator really did like land some incredible hits against Shatter. Could have gone the other way, but uh, Adam Wrigley was able to channel his uh, long flowing locks and into his bot and kept squaring up with Captain Shredderator just. In, if you if you watch the match, just in the nick of time, he was able to sometimes whip around that bot and square up to it. And, um, you know, it, he just kept beating down Brian until eventually that opportunity arose and then the hammer started falling. Mm, yeah. I, I, thought it, I thought it was interesting to see such a different strategy this time around in the Malice fight, came out and fired the hammer within three seconds and then had two minutes and 96, 97 seconds of a uh, pushing match. 
And in this match, really, we didn't see Shatter's hammer at all. I, I almost thought that um, Adam Wrigley was protesting his his earlier uh, judge's call um, against him in Malice and um, really judiciously waiting for that hit. And it's kind of, it's it's a different different style. I mean, usually he's, he's relentless, um, very much in your face, and you can expect to, to get 50 or 60 hammer strikes from that electric hammer. Um, but we saw a different shatter and uh, both, both cosmetically and strategically. And I thought that, that was, that was really interesting. All right. On over to a very similar matchup, at least on paper, a shell spinner in gigabyte facing a tanky little wedge in claw viper. But Gigabyte again proved why reliability is so important in the battle box, surviving their first big encounter with Claw Viper, flying four feet high in the air, and landing without breaking its internals. Gigabyte was helped in this match by Matt Maxim, who co-captained Stinger during the ABC round of the show in 2015 and 2016. Claw Viper had drive issues toward the middle of this match that weren't helped at all by Gigabyte tearing off one of its wheels. So Gigabyte spins to a two and one record while Claw Viper falls to one and two. Your thoughts here on this fight. This was such a fun match. Um, I don't know what was going on with Claw Viper's drive in this. They were just out of control. It's like, I think they um, had some pretty good traction at the beginning of the tournament but they did not adjust anything as the floor conditions changed. And in this particular match, they just weren't really able to control their bot as well as they had in their first fight. Um, and even, even their second fight, it, clear win by gigabyte, good driving by the gigabyte team. And uh, that weapon's scary this year. I mean, once they, you know, <laughs> got a, got a connector, um, that, that works properly for connecting their shell to their bot. This team's pretty, pretty hard to beat. So um, yeah, it was a good fight all the way around. I always love seeing a robot flying straight up into the air. And I just think it's, it's like the best moment on battle bots and to see it land perfectly and continue to work, I think is even more thrilling. Um, and, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen some kind of weird matches where Gigabyte hasn't come out on top after after landing. So it was great to see that this team had worked in the pits and and got the bot running better on the uh, cusp of the top 32. All right, on over to Hijinks versus Chomp. Uh, love this match. Loved everything about this match. Um, both of these bots entered with one-on-one records after Hijinks won in an untelevised match against Tracer and Chomp lost in an untelevised match against Ghost Raptor. Chomp is always so exciting to see. Um, so <laughs> my girlfriend Jackie is a BattleBots fan, but she's not a BattleBots super fan. So um, as we're like, usually when we're talking on Thursdays, um, I don't know, in the kitchen, and we're starting to talk about watching BattleBots, uh, you know, that evening, she always asks, is the walking one on? <laughs> um, and... Uh, she was so delighted to hear that the walking one was indeed on last week. Uh, she absolutely loves Chomp. Um, I think all of us do. Um, and, you know, it's just such a delight every single time to see uh, see that robot on the box. 
Um, however, this was unquestionably a favorable matchup for hijinks with its big undercutter capable of getting under Chomp's armor and hitting its legs at high speeds. After this fight, Chomp Captain Zoe Stevenson said hijinks had damaged four out of the bot's six legs, leading to the countout. It also looked like Chomp's hammerhead got tweaked when it landed a blow into hijinks' big weapon blade. All around, total crowd pleaser with Jen Herkenroder's bot in top form and the engineering marvel that is Chomp on TV yet again. Your thoughts here on this fight. It was impressive to see Chomp land that one blow on that very small surface area on top of hijinks. You know, it, it just unfortunately for Chomp, Hijinx really armored up that one small uh, posted stamp of uh, of a you know an area worth hitting. Um, you know, I I had kind of predicted you know for this fight it was going to be that Mortal Kombat two dilemma of uh, you know is Hijinx going to come in here doing the leg sweep over and over and over again? And sure enough, that's what we saw. Yeah. I really love this fight. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was probably one of my my favorite matches of the night, and uh, it was uh, I, I just felt really uh, happy and proud uh, for Jen in that moment because it, it must have meant a lot for her to kind of come out with this bot that she had tried to keep secret for so long, and you know, really, uh, she and uh, Orion and everybody else on that team did such a a great job and I know how much they revere Zoe and, and Yasha and the fact that they are able to uh you know have a strategy and armor up and get that win I'm sure was uh made them feel really good as it should have. You know they say that you should never meet your idols but you should always try to beat your idols. Mm, yeah that's true. And I think for for Jen, I mean, she she did. She said on our on our show like a year and a half ago that one of her her favorite builders was Zoe Stevenson. So I think it's really cool that um, that they gave her, you know, this match in her friend and um, her inspiration. Um, a lot of builders really look up to one another, and I I think that's that's a really really cool part about this this community. Um, and Zoe looks up to Jen as well, which is really great. Um, Zoe posted this really great note on Facebook uh, this past week and um, just really great, great um, camaraderie and sportsmanship between these, these two teams. Love to see it. All right. On number two, Witch Doctor versus Slamo. They say it takes a village to raise a child and at BattleBots, it takes a village to save a bot season, apparently. The story was remarkable. Witch Doctor Captain Andrea Galately described how the team rushed to replace their broken S7 tool steel blades with brand new AR-400 blades. With sourcing help from blacksmith Captain Al Kindle, transportation help from Sporkanok, and water jetting help from Chomp. It was a sprint to turn a 600-pound chunk of AR-400 steel into brand new weapon blades that featured the message, thanks, Chomp, on the front. Craig, Danby, and Slamo have been having a storybook season with wins over RookieBot's Pain Train and War EZ. Slamo came out with a new configuration with a single long center wedge that succeeded in getting under Witch Doctor and hamstringing Mike Galately's legendary driving. Good strategy, but Slamo's grappler got taken out pretty early in the match and Witch Doctor managed to rip off a wheel. Good fight, good strategy. Great to see Witch Doctor in top form again. Thoughts on this match? This was such a great story segment on the show. This is um, some of my favorite stories about BattleBots is like how the community pulls together and helps each other out. And this is such a hard problem to solve. Like I, 
fabrication is what I do for a living and acquiring the materials, getting somebody to water jet it, you know, overnight essentially is just so hard to do. And, you know, normally on a, on a production, we would have a team of like six people working the logistics, trying to get everything figured out, getting trucking figured out, hiring people to, you know, drive things back and forth. This was literally just a bunch of bot builders figuring it out amongst themselves. And um, it was really impressive and, and pretty heartwarming. And I love this story a lot. Um, I, the, I did not predict the match to go this way. I really thought Slamo would win it, but I also didn't know that they'd be able to pull off getting a weapon together in time. And um, it's really cool that they were, and it's really cool that it worked out so well. Slamo did a great job in this match. Um, all credit to uh, Craig Danby's driving and his bot. Um, it held up to Witch Doctor's fully functional weapon as well as you can expect any bot to hold up to that weapon. And, um, you know, the fact that he was able to get, get a toss in there and, and show what his bot can do is really cool. I think it's really going to show the selection committee that he is um, ready, willing, and able to be in the round of 32, and I hope he gets there. Um, so, yeah, I, I love this match. I think it was great all the way around. I think one of the really great things about BattleBots, um, and you know, like for casual fans, they they often ask this question: like, um, do the builders talk to one another? Are they friends with one another? And the question uh, always gets answered, and it's yes. Um, you know, these are these are um, dozens and dozens of friends who get together, and this is their hobby. This is their passion. Um, even if you're facing your opponent, you will help your opponent's weapons get better in the pit so that you can have the best fight possible. And in the case of, of Al Kendall, who wasn't even at the, the competition this year, um, Sporkanok and Chomp working together with, with Mike and Andrea, there, there is like... The most logical thing to do if you really want to win is to not help them. <laughs> um, but no, like they, they all came together. They worked their network to figure this out. And these engineers, they're all problem solvers and they did something very, very difficult. And it's incredibly impressive and really shows the, again, camaraderie and sportsmanship among uh, the builders in this community. Well, you know, I think that teams helping each other is just cheating and taking advantage of the system. What? Lindsay, has somebody given this hot take somewhere online this week? <laughs> you know, uh, a post with like several hundred comments of 99.99% of people saying, what are you talking about? And one uh, stubborn uh gentleman shall we call uh him you know dissenting for no apparent reason uh i'm i'm really happy that he is a uh, practically a lone dissenter and that the rest of the whole community you know agrees that this is a really remarkable aspect of of just the bot community in general is like lending a hand and helping out your opponent and whatnot but Man, I just kept hate reading those comments and was getting angrier and angrier. Yeah. We shouldn't even give, you know, thoughts like that airtime. You know, what uh jumping back, I I would say uh underneath that rugged grumpy exterior, Al Kindle has a heart of gold. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really funny. It, like online he he does seem like a grumpy old man, but 
the second <laughs> that that uh, there's a builder who needs to call in a favor, um, he is right there to figure out the problem with you, even though he's not at the competition, which is pretty pretty remarkable. One one of my other favorite things that came out of it was a meme that Michael Lately posted that was like when you give a five minute dissertation on the on the different like properties of of metals, and the only part they include is they exploded. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny because I'm sure, like you know, he must have gone into a whole a whole dissertation like explaining the different compounds and and why the different metals react the way that they do and they just the producers went what they exploded because you know that that gets the, the point across pretty quick but i thought that was so funny i keep i keep thinking about it and it keeps making me laugh it's not like the show is on some kind of discovery channel <laughs> that's for the science channel not mm. for discovery all right, on over to our big upset of the night, Extinguisher versus Gruff. Um, I love these big upsets because that means that uh, we don't have to send out lots of stickers. We uh, we have <laughs> we have a dwindling supply of stickers. Uh, so so yeah, more upsets, please. It's uh, it's going to help us out a lot. Also also with postage, you know. Um, but uh, but Extinguisher, uh, on over to this match. Extinguisher has been having a rough season. Uh, with some reliability issues plaguing the robot. We saw some of those issues on display in this match as Extinguisher lost its weapon, that Dalmatian painted vertical spinner, pretty early in the match and spent much of the rest of the match on its head being bullied by Gruff. But Gruff ended up defeating itself with just seconds left, getting countered out after its drivetrain failed. This was a rare failure in reliability for Gruff, which has typically been absolutely bulletproof in this competition. However, after this match, we learned that both bots got stuck early and couldn't extricate themselves, so the producers paused the fight and went in to pull the two bots apart. This is something we didn't see on TV, but if you watch closely, there's a weird cut, and that's where the producers went in to, uh, to pull these two bots apart. In the process, one of the, uh, the, the staff clipped Extinguisher's weapon belt, but Gruff lost half of its drive, forcing its other half to do double duty, burning out the motor and causing the bot to go up in smoke. Also, Kyle, for the record, you were right last week when you said Extinguisher would go into this match with its CO2 flame killer, which unfortunately didn't do much in this fight as Gruff driver Sam McCamus simply reignited his flamethrowers after they were extinguished. Your thoughts on this big upset? Anything can happen in a robot fight. And, uh... It certainly, it certainly did in this one. Um, I think it's pretty cool that even with their spinner disabled after they got all tangled up like that and that awesome suplex, uh, they were still able to pull out the win. Um, you know, congratulations to Extinguisher and the team. They did a really great job. And um, yeah, weird match. Weird match. It was, it was a little strange. It was chaotic and a little messy. I think that uh, the these two bots getting stuck together, um, you know, created some of these these reliability problems that we saw both in Extinguisher and and in Gruff. Um, but uh, but as, as Greg says on on his interview with us coming up, um, you know, this is part of the rule set. Um, as 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 you know, if if the producers have to go into the box and pull your robot apart. 
they might have to use a crowbar. They might have to cut part of your robot off. And uh, you're just going to have to keep fighting with, with whatever, what, whatever bot is left. It's kind of like, you know, in golf, if you hit it into the rough, you have to play it where it lands. Um, you know, there, there is no stopping the fight, going back to the pits, fixing your robot and putting it back in. It's just not feasible. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a real risk. Um, every time they, they have to go in and, um, and pull, pull robots apart. All right. On over to perfect Phoenix versus Adam 94. Great driving on display here from perfect Phoenix with their longest fight yet in BattleBots, showing that underneath it all brutality still packs a punch. Tyler chose to run his blue blade for this match and hit Adam 94's weapon discs so hard they got bent with their weapon belts hanging loose. But Perfect Phoenix lost its weapon later in the match as well and started smoking, but managed to hang in there for the full three minutes, earning a unanimous judge's decision. After falling to an 0-3 record, this is perhaps the last time we'll see Adam 94 in the box this season. However, I hope they've opened the door for more Indian teams because I would love to see more hard-hitting bots from Indian builders. Your thoughts on this fight, Perfect Phoenix versus Adam94. Heck yeah, more Indian teams would be awesome. I, I want to see representation from, from all of the, the major corners of the world where there is... Um, you know, regular combat robots and, you know, rising teams. Um, this past weekend at Norwalk, Norwalk Havoc, we got to meet a builder named Sol, who is uh, a member of a very small combat robotics community in Mexico. They hold like three events every year. And it's just so cool to, to hear that this sport is spreading to places that we didn't know about beforehand. I don't think that Mexican combat robotics was on anybody's radar um, but, but yeah, I mean, like the Indian scene is so big, it's growing quickly. I would love if COVID ended to, to go to India and go to some of these big events, um, and, and check it out and meet the builders, see their robots. I mean, we just see little glimpses of them on YouTube and to get a, a full team from India and Adam 94 is really neat. I'd love to see so many more Indian teams, um, teams from China, more teams from Brazil, um, and and yeah, just uh, I think I think the show going international is so incredibly important to the to the growth of the sport. I agree a hundred percent. I really enjoyed this match. I thought that Tyler did a really great job, and I thought that um, I thought that the folks on Adam ninety four did the best job they possibly could. Uh, I think that their their bot just has some inherent design flaws that they're going to obviously learn from this year and improve yeah. upon when they come back. Um, and you know, hopefully, we do see more more Canadian slash Indian teams or just Indian teams. Obviously, when the pandemic is no longer pandemicing, we should be able to get a lot more Indian teams, which would be really cool, and maybe even more Russian teams. I would like that. Yeah, Bring back rainbow. Bring back Rainbow. Bring back Rainbow and maybe another Russian team or two. Why not? Sounds great. All right. And on up to our main event, Copperhead versus Black Dragon. The big one, the hardest one to call. Copperhead has been on an absolute tear this season, cruising to victory over Gigabyte and P1 without breaking a sweat, while Black Dragon has struggled to capture last season's magic when they went 4-2 and, and took home a giant bolt for winning the 2019 Desperado Tournament. 
This was destined to come down to the ground game, and Copperhead proved that that dense little bot can really get low, flipping Black Dragon over and over again and clipping its weapon belts. This was clearly a damaging fight because Copperhead started crab walking at the end, and I was on the edge of my seat, hoping that they'd be saved by the 10-second clock at the end, something that Gruff narrowly missed in its fight. They survived, barely, and won a judge's decision. Your thoughts on this super thrilling fight? Copperhead really packs uh, a, a wall up in that in that really compact weapon. It's 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 amazing to see how 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 much force other bots fly off of the front of that thing. I, I watched Robert Cowan's uh, post fight breakdown on YouTube, and he said that um, Copperhead is so low that it is literally shaving the paint off of the box. Whoa. And there's just like not much lower you can get when you have that kind of downforce, basically. Um, and it's just been really, really cool to see the Copperhead glow up the, the sophomore season. Um, and I I think that this, this bot's going to really, really go deep in the top 32, definitely make the top 16, probably make the top eight, potentially even make the top four. But yeah, it's um, this. This is this is absolutely one one to watch. Props to Black Dragon for just uh, not dying and and really having the reliability to keep it going for for three full minutes of that. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that they uh, when they lost their weapon, there was no more fancy driving or anything to try to change their strategy. They just went face first. Hmm. They were yeah. like, "Yep, you know what? The front of our robot's pretty strong. We're just gonna keep hitting you." And we'll see what happens. I love it. I mean, that's what the fans want to see. Um, and I know for a team like Black Dragon, who doesn't always have the like the most resourcing, that's a difficult choice to make. So uh, I'm, as a fan, very glad to see that. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and fight night recap. After the break, our interview with BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson. <laughs> This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by My Girlfriend Doesn't Like Robots, a new YouTube series where superfan Matt Hedger talks with his girlfriend about combat robotics. They're out with a brand new episode this week. Both Matt and Aisha are hilarious, and we can highly recommend this show. Check out My Girlfriend Doesn't Like Robots on YouTube. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson. We last talked to Greg back in August after the show announced that it had planned to shoot the 2020 season in October without a live audience or most of the international field of competitors and new comprehensive COVID precautions in place. BattleBots has since shot that season, plus created a brand new spinoff show, BattleBots Bounty Hunters, all while keeping the builders and production staff safe without anyone catching a single case of COVID. Earlier this month, BattleBots began accepting new applications for the next season of the show, something we're very excited about talking about in the hour ahead. So welcome back to the show, Greg. Hey guys, thanks for having me again. I really enjoy being here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to congratulate you and the team on running a very successful production this season, changing the show's format to keep everyone safe while also keeping the energy of BattleBots up, you know, like really love the opera box format. Um, and I, I think the fans are really, you know, loving this this season as well. I do want to say that um, back a couple months ago when um, 
all I saw on social media was that this was the best season of BattleBots ever. These are the biggest fights ever. I thought maybe it was a little bit of marketing hype, but now nine episodes in, like, this is the best season of BattleBots ever. Like, the fights are the most incredible we've ever seen. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, um, how, like, when, when you think back on, on this season, uh, what, what, what are your big takeaways? Well, first off, we haven't even got to the World Championship yet, and that's I just got to watch episode uh, 11 and 12 and I'm about to watch episode 13 and that's where the uh, world championship final start. And it's like, Oh man, it's even better. It's so crazy. It, it's yeah. just like, there's so, so many crazy fights coming that it, it really is. It really is one of the best seasons ever. Um, yeah. And I'm sorry, repeat your question again. Cause I got so enamored with how great these next couple episodes are. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, as you look back on, on this season, I mean, what made it so good? Is it just the, the caliber of the robots you know, just getting better and better every year? Yeah, it's definitely that. I think one big takeaway, and Trey always mentions this, is that we're supposed to do the show in April, right? Mm. And it got postponed. And then it got postponed again. So there's so many stops and starts that by the time we finally got to October, many of the builders had not only finished their bots, um, but they had built some spare parts and they had built some spare chassis and a lot of builders took them out and tested them, drop tested them, threw them off of buildings, um, ran around the parking lots, learned how to do donuts, learned how to drift. The, the prep time, which is usually really crunched because we get that green light and then there's like maybe six weeks to get your bot ready. This was like months and months and months. So many teams had the opportunity to prep better than they ever had before. Um, and I think that um, those are the dividends that we're reaping now in the show being so good, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to uh, to learn more about uh, the spinoff show, BattleBots Bounty Hunters. Uh, where did the concept come for this show? And what do you like about this new format? The, the concept came from uh, Aaron Catling in the very beginning of the reboot um, when we went from ABC to Discovery. Um, we wanted to try, that's when we had the fight card format. And at that time, we also wanted to try this thing called bounties, which is kind of the thing that wrestling would do. Put a bounty on Hulk Hogan and who can take him down, right? It's this old boxing thing when boxers would go from town to town and there'd be a bounty and you could take them down. You win $1,000, right? Mm. Um, and we tried it, like, I think we tried it season three and it just flopped. None of the builders mm. wanted to do it. They just wanted to concentrate on the tournament. Um, and we're like, oh, well, that, that sucked. And we, I don't think we ever even, we just canceled them. We didn't even do it. Um, this season, we decided to bring them back. Um, and the beautiful thing about the bounties is that they pretty much saved season five from, hap you know, enabled it to happen. Because for a long time there, as you know, we wanted to do the show in April and it took us all the way to October to finally pull it off. And there's a raging pandemic going on during this time. And what's going on is, you know, there's travel restrictions. None of the international bots can start, not, are not able to come. Um, some of the domestic robots, Duck, Bite Force, uh, Free Shipping, they're like, guys, I really don't feel comfortable coming. Mm -hmm. And it's completely understandable. So around July, we're in a world where we had 90 robots to deliver the 40 hours that Discovery ordered from us. We promised Discovery 40 hours of TV. Um, and we had 90 robots to do it. Around July, we took a poll and the number was like 
38 were like 100% yes. Wow. And a whole ton of robots were like, I don't know. I want to see your COVID protocols. And even if they're the greatest things ever, I may say no, because I got this problem or that problem or I lost the job or, you know, this all the whole spectrum of COVID related problems. Right. Um, which was super scary because there's no way with 38 robots we can pull off 40 hours. Mm. Um, now, by the time October rolled around, we rallied, we contacted everyone. We found teams like, like Rusty um, and we got it up to 62 robots. But even mm. with 62 bots, delivering 40 hours is tough. So if you're gonna deliver 60 robots over 28 hours and then use a subset of the same 60 robots for an additional 12 hours, for a completely different show, that's something you can pull off. So the Bounty Hunters was very much a, a idea born out of, or a, a, an idea rekindled out of necessity to make our 40 hour order for discovery. Um, it was also one of these things where this actually never happened, but there was always this, this sort of sword of Damocles hanging over our heads where it was like, you know, discovery has a digital platform they control how they distribute our show on their network. Um, it's very easy for them to say, hey, let's put BattleBots Fight Night on digital first, mm. and then we'll put it on TV. That'll be a great way for us to launch our new network with some exclusivity towards digital before it gets to cable. Yeah. And they never said that. I don't, want us to put, I don't want anyone to think that Discovery threatened that, but it's something that could happen. And if it did, it would be disastrous because mm. so many fans would be so mad. I mean, the fans were mad enough that 12 of the 40 hours were taken away from them and put on this exclusive platform, right? Mm. Now imagine if 40 hours is taken away from you and put on an exclusive platform and you can't watch it till like, you know, this summer, right? Yeah. So that would have been crazy. So again, bounty hunters to the rescue. Hey, we'll take 12 hours. This will save us in terms of ours. We only have 60 robots out of the 90 we were hoping. And um, we're going to give Discovery some exclusive content. So ultimately, we're protecting the, the main show, the flagship show, to always be on cable for mm. the people. Yeah. Um, and, and one other good thing I should mention is that as it stands right now, um, Discovery Bounty Hunter should appear on cable at some point later in the year. That's what we've been told by the network. So hopefully that remains. And keep your fingers crossed. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I did see one kind of persistent question about BattleBots Bounty Hunters. So I figured I would ask you and clear it up uh, because the fans don't know the answer. Um, can you, uh, can you explain how the cash bounties work? So like there's dozens of teams that signed up to take on these six legends in the sport. Is it $25,000 total across all six legends? You know, does it get split up among all of the builders? Does one builder go home with 25,000? Is it actually 125,000 to like, can you help us understand that? Yeah. And that, that was another great thing. Another savior for BattleBots bounty hunters because builders need cash. Yeah. And one of the biggest thorns on our side is the, the is the budget we get to do the show on cable compared to, to like what we got on broadcast from ABC is so much smaller that the prize money budget we normally have sucks. I mean, frankly, it just sucks. Um, and yeah, one day we'll get a big sponsor to throw in lots of money so the builders can get that. But because now we have two networks, Discovery Digital and Discovery Normal, 
we were able to get a nice chunk of money from Discovery Digital, D Discovery Plus, to give exclusively to the builders. So it was the 25K times six wow. to get to the builders. Um, so in each of the six bounties, that 25K, um, we don't do winner take all. We don't, we don't like that. We want all the builders to get some of it, right? So the winner, of course, gets the lion's share, but each, each participant, I think, got at least a thousand bucks to just be in the bounties. Like if you sign up for it, you get a thousand bucks, which is great because that can go to repairs, that can go to um, parts, whatever. And then every time you won, you won a nice chunk of money. And then, of course, if you won the whole thing, you would get that lion's share. Either the bounty legend would get it or the bounty hunter winner would get it, depending on who wins that final fight. Awesome. Awesome. That clears that up. Um, and can you see this format coming back next season, maybe three seasons, four seasons of BattleBots Bounty Hunters? Is this permanently BattleBots is now going to be a, a kind of two show format? We love it. Um, I think the builders really liked it. Uh, and I think Discovery Plus is going to want is going to continue to want content that you can only get on that network exclusively for at least a, a, a period of time. So at this point, the answer is probably yes. Um, we haven't discussed it in detail with the network yet. So, you know, who knows what they could, who knows what will happen. But at this point, I say just the, the future looks pretty good for bounty hunters. That's awesome. That's really great news. Um, I'd love to, so applications are now open for, for the next season of BattleBots. And we've got a series of now rapid fire fan questions about kind of uh, the coming season. Uh, we have a little known builder named Will Bales uh, from Hypershock. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know who that is. Um, well, but that, that, that dude who keeps emailing me 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, so uh, Will asks, from the perspective of the network and production companies, what kinds of robots make for the best TV? That is a surprisingly uh, surprisingly good, good question. I, I was I was expecting a joke question, but I actually really like this question. So, like, I, what, what robots really make for the best TV? I like it too. Um, the short answer is is the answer to this question is is on our website. Um, I put together a PDF, and it's at battlebots.com/build. And over there on the right-hand side of the page, there's a little click. You click and you can download a PDF. And it basically tells you the four main things that we're looking for that we know make a great TV show. And, of course, the network agrees with us. Um, first and foremost, it is a bot that can fight like, like makes those water cooler fights that we all talk about you know, hours after the show. Everyone gets on Reddit or Facebook or whatever your flavor is, and you just say, oh, my God that Valkyrie rotator fight was insane. Mm. You see saw blades blow up, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So the ability for as much as you can prove that your bot is an amazing fighter and can put on amazing fights, whether it's lifting, flipping, grappling, spinning, whatever it is, as long as it does it amazingly and gets the whole community to talk about how amazing the fight was, you're checking that box. But the, the, the colorary to that box is you have to keep on fighting. It's not just one fight. It's like you have the ability, and you need to prove this in your application, that you can keep fight once, fight twice, fight three times, and keep fighting. Just keep going. Because in the fight card format, you're going to have three to four fights. And if you make a tournament, you could have five fights, six fights. I forget how much it is in the round of 32. Six fights, right? Mm. Um, 
whatever it is. But that's a lot of fights. And then if you join the bounty hunter, you got more fights. So you've got to prove that you can just keep going and going and going and going. So reliability is huge. Um, second most important thing is looks. The bot's got to be great looking. Um, you know, many, you know, back in the old days of the Comedy Central show, many a bot in, in BattleBots was a metal box with four wheels and a weapon on top. And that just can't fly on TV anymore. Um, if you're going to build a vertical spinner, it's got to be your own version of a vertical spinner. It's got to be branded. It's got to have a, a vibe to it that's uniquely yours. So when it enters the ring, you know that one is Witch Doctor, and that one over there is Hypershock, and that mm -hmm. one over there is Endgame, right? It, and that one over there is, uh, you know, the, you know, whatever the weapon is, it's just the whole vibe of the bot, the paint, the paint scheme, the logo. If you guys want to do costumes or not, but the whole vibe of the team and the bot just has to be a branded, unique experience to you, so everyone knows who you are. Right. And some teams choose to make that like based on a character. Other teams make that um, based on a concept. Other teams rely on a paint job and a logo like duck or a theme. Um, but whatever it is, the, you have to do that. You've got to make it look amazing. The bot's got to look amazing and it's got to be unique enough to make it its own branded thing. There's duck. Right. I know duck. You know exactly who it is. There's free shipping. Right. Um, third thing is you got to somehow please do something original in a world of vertical spinner after vertical sp spinner, at least make a, a new kind of vertical spinner, come up with a new twist on the tried and true weapon systems. We understand the sport is, is much like, um, Rochambeau, rock, paper, scissors, but try to come up with at least some little twist that makes it make your makes your robot a little different. Um, that will if you can check that box, that's huge. And of course, if you can come up something crazy like like Chomp, something totally original, even better. Um, and the fourth is just to have an amazing team, not so mm. much from certainly from a personality standpoint, but more so from a re reliability standpoint. It's like a crack team of problem solvers. Roll up the sleeves. Get the bot fixed. Um, you know, your drivers this, does this. Your mechanics do this. Your CAD people do this. You even might even have a graphic designer to help with the look of the bot. But you've, you've checked the boxes so the bot looks great. The bot can be fixed and the bot can fight amazingly. And that's all on your team. So an amazing team. If you can check all four of those boxes, you stand a pretty good chance of getting into BattleBots. Uh, we have a related question from Mike Stropkovich Jr., a.k.a. Mr. Psycho on YouTube who asks, I don't have a CAD program. Will cardboard-aided design be acceptable for a BattleBots application? So everyone should know that Ray Billings submitted the design for Tombstone through our application system on graph paper. Wow. Uh, Buzzy submitted the designs for all his robots via Adobe Illustrator. So yes, while most people use CAD in various forms, um, we've accepted robots that were done you know, using much less systems and, and not even any systems like, uh, Rusty was, here's a photo of the bot. Wow. Um, so yeah, that's completely, it's, you're going to have a harder, harder time at it because nothing beats amazing photo, realistic renderings 
uh, that show every sticker and every bit of the paint job and all that stuff, like what Hypershock would do. Um, those are just, that's an easy way for you to see exactly what the robot's going to look like when it's, when it's all said and done. You're like, oh yeah, that looks great. Um, but it's completely possible to submit your robot with less than that. Mm -hmm. got Then you got to, you know, amp it up on the video side and just say why the bot's going to be amazing. Well, Mr. Psycho knows how to shoot videos, so that's good. Um, Meryl Hyatt asks, I've always been curious about the quote-unquote selection committee. Who are these mysterious people? How do they make their mysterious decisions? They are a cabal of witches <laughs> in a cave, and we consult them. You have to, like, rub three rocks together, and they only come out on certain full moons, and we deliver the list of the strength of schedule of all the robots to them, and then they do this weird thing with twigs, <laughs> and then and and then it's revealed to the top thirty two. No, the the selection committee is is just um, it's me, it's Trey, so the two founders of BattleBots. It's Aaron Catling, who you've had on the show. Mm -hmm. the show. Chris Cowan, our esteemed executive producer. It's Tom Gutteridge, our other executive producer, who also created the Robot Wars TV show in the UK. Uh, it's Pete, the bot whisperer. Um, and then the, uh, there's lots of input from Luke, who's our head of safety. Um, and that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steven Eggert has a question that's on a lot of fans' minds. You know, is there a BattleBots baby boom, I guess, in 2020? Because there were so many teams that were supposed to come. Um, and now they're hoping to get into the next season. So he asks, with such a limited number of teams allowed, how hard is it each year to select bots to compete when you know you want a mix of established successful teams to return, reliable veteran teams who had less success, as well as new teams that bring something different? Also, do you expect it to be even harder next season with the many teams who were forced to drop out in 2020, believing they should be accepted for the 2021 season, no pressure, by the way. Oh, God. This is the hardest thing ever. This is probably the worst part of the job is, uh, is deciding who... You know, it, it's all based on the number of hours that Discovery orders because that equals the amount of episodes, which equals the amount of robots. And if that's a high number, awesome. We can have, like, like when we got 40 hours, we can have 90 robots. But even at 90 robots, you're making tough decisions for some bots that just can't get in, which is the worst thing in the world, especially when Trey and I came from a world in the Comedy Central days where our show was anybody can come. Just pay this negligible registration fee of like 30 bucks mm. and show up at Treasure Island on you know the date and we'll register you and you can fight. And if you do great, you'll get in the finals. I would love to get back to those days, but to do that, we need a permanent facility and we need, um, we need more time. We need a place where the box can live as opposed to renting a place where you're paying top dollar. It's just the box is there forever. And then we could get back to that. But for now it's, it's a lot more selective. It's a lot more competitive. And next year, it depends on how much they order. Are they going to order 40 episodes on um, 40 hours, 50 hours, 30 hours, 20 hours? Yeah. Mm. It just all depends. I would love it if they did something 40 and above, cause that could get us maybe back to the 90 world. Um, but even with that, I mean, now that we've seen the bots who maybe, maybe wouldn't have made it in like a, let's say a rusty, right? Well, rusty's coming back. Yeah. But who does rusty now kick out because rusty's coming back. Right. Definitely. And then if all those international bots, if those travels restrictions are gone and they can come back, can all of them come back? Do we have enough room? And I've been peeking at some of the 
applications for 2021 and there's some cool stuff. So it's, it's the worst, worst decision you have to make, but unfortunately you do. Stinger captain Wendy Maxim asks, are there aspects of the production that you instituted during the pandemic that you would consider keeping to speed up load in slash load out of the arena, like team intros outside the box, box startup near the doors, et cetera? It's all going to depend on what, um, what restrictions there's going to be for 2021. But a, a couple of things we really liked that we did differently because of COVID. We, uh, the bot builders now turn their robots on right by the doors instead of in the squares. And that feels, we did, we started that actually in Vegas for the uh, Remars event where there was no pandemic. We just did it because we had to do it so fast because it was a live show. And right. so we implemented it for the 2020 season and it worked great. And I think the builders liked it and it feels a lot safer because you can communicate uh, with the person holding the remote right then and there and you're behind a barrier. Um, and the bots, you know, you got a little spike rail in front of you between you and the bots. So I think we'll definitely keep that. Um, the intros are all going to depend on if we have a live audience next season or not, mm. um, which is still to be determined. Um, but behind the scenes, man, I would love it if we could keep the space that we gave, that, that, that the building allowed for the builders. Because they had so much room because they had to because of COVID and because we had a five acre building. Um, and if we had 90 robots, we would have been a lot more squished. We had 62, so you can imagine how the, the, the um, floor plan eased up. But man, if we could find a building that could accommodate a bunch of robots with that much space, that would be great. I don't think we can, but I think the builders love that. All right, Greg. So Jackpot Captain Jeff Waters asks the question on everyone's mind, season six? Season six. Season six looks good. I mean, we don't want to jinx it, so I'm knocking on wood. Everyone should knock on wood right now. I got um, some right here. Good, good, good. But, um, you know, the ratings have been, not every show, but a lot of the shows have been the best ratings ever, like ever, um, which is fantastic. Um, I think, you know, we don't really get much insight into how we're doing on Discovery Plus, but we think it's good. Um, again, knock on wood, you know. And so it, we feel confident enough to put the, the word out to the build community that they should start getting their applications in. And we've done that. Um, and applications are starting to roll in. Uh, we'll definitely be talking to the network um, pretty much starting now. And, and you know, these, these kind of things go on for weeks and months. So you know, we probably won't get an official yes or no until March, April, May even. But yeah. that's why we be proactive now and get the builders at least thinking about design and applications and CAD files. So when that green light comes that we because we think it will again, knock on wood, um, that they'll be ahead of the game to just sort of hit the ground running and get bots ready. Because ultimately, we'd love to do it towards the summer, like July, August. None of that's guaranteed, of course. But that's a great time because of vacations. Uh, that's a great time for European holidays. Schools are out. If we did have a live audience, if COVID was enough under control at that point, you could get a live audience because people would be on summer vacation, schools out, et cetera. So will we get to do that? I don't know. Could we be pushed again and again down the road into the fall? Possibly. Um, but right now we're being proactive and we feel good that there will, there will be a 2021 season. Yeah, that leads right into Lindsay Urico's first question. Uh, when are you planning for next season? Are you considering holding off until the vaccine is more widely distributed? 
uh, we're planning now. Yeah. We're looking for a new venue. Um, we've alerted the bots. Yeah, we're on, we're on it now. Um, and about the vaccine, I mean, are you are you thinking that, you know, if you're seeing that the vaccine might be more widely distributed a month or two after you'd like to start filming, would you consider like holding off for that or what That's are your thoughts question. there? I, I don't have a good answer for you yet. I mean, ultimately, what we, we've got one production with strict COVID protocols under our belts. Yep. And so we'll plan for the worst and hope for the best. And if we have to pull the trigger and do it under strict COVID protocol protocols again without a live audience, we know how to do that. There's like a hundred lessons, even even with a with an excellent record, and no one got sick. There's still many many things we can improve upon, which we will do. Yep. Um, but hopefully the vaccine is prominent and ubiquitous, and people are actually getting it, and we can have a live audience. That would be fantastic because that's that's probably the biggest thing I missed from the production, um, and I think the builders miss it too because you love that roar of the crowd cheering you on. Um, so it, time will tell. Uh, so Lindsay has a much lighter question for her next one. Have you ever considered a mini bot rumble as a filler match? I know the fans would adore it. That's true. <laughs> that comes up a lot. I kind I like that idea. Um, we are so pressed for time. Um, you know, th it's a union shoot, right? So we've got we've got camera people and audio people and stage managers that you know this is their job. They go from TV show to TV show to TV show. So we just have to put as much as we can in the schedule and get it done. And we're oftentimes hard pressed to get those nine fights per session that we need for the TV show. Um, sometimes we can get 10, but then to throw something extra in, it's maybe something we could kind of think about doing towards the end of this, of a shoot, you know, around the time where we, we need filler for the semifinals and finals because the bots have to repair themselves to get ready for that next fight. That's when something like that can happen. But I love that idea. I think that's hilarious. It is a really funny idea. I think it would be great, especially yep. like seeing just a million of those little snakes in there trying to fight something real, like uh, like um, tracers, mini bots, or something like that. Yeah, no, little snakes fighting little flamethrowers, fighting little lifters. It'd be great. Yeah, it'd be hilarious. Yeah. All right. Um, next question: How do you feel about the ma the matches being available on Disney Plus? Does it affect your overall ratings? On Discovery Plus, um, I always say Disney Plus too. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. It's I even, yeah. even written as, as Discovery Plus, and I said Disney. <laughs> um, yeah, I love The Mandalorian. God, it's a great show. It is a really um, good anyway, show. So I, you know, Discovery as a network has to get into the digital world. All the networks have to do it, otherwise they're going to die. Yep. And this is just my prediction. Um, you know, I don't have any insights into the world of TV, but. Um, you know, it, there's going to be a day five years from now where these things start merging. You know, Apple and Disney become one TV sh TV channel instead of Apple Plus and Disney Plus. You know, maybe Amazon buys Discovery. You know, who knows what's going to happen, right? This is just pure speculation on my part. But everyone's got to put their foot in the water strongly as they can now, so they'll so those mergers that happen in the future, they have they have stronger positions. So anything BattleBots can do to help Discovery do that is gonna be good for BattleBots because ultimately they're our client. And if you make your client happy, it's good you keep getting the job, right? Yeah. And you know we are independent of Discovery. Our show is not owned by them, we own it. But nonetheless, they're the ones who pay for most of it. Um, they don't pay for all of it, but they pay for most of it. And it's because of that that we're able to be on TV. So the more we can make them happy and provide them with content for whatever they want it for, the better we'll be able to continue doing this. So 
I hope that answered the question. You, very much so, yeah. Um, her next question actually relates right into that. Do you think that the fact that Discovery had you do Bounty Hunters as an exclusive to the streaming service, um, does that relax you a bit in regards to BattleBots' future on the network? Yeah, I think so. As long as it's successful and it seems to be, again, we don't have much insight. That's a bit of a black box. It's not like ratings come out for that like they do. Right. Yeah, it's all show. internal to the to the actual company. Yeah, um, maybe someday we'll get to see them. But, you know, I think everyone at the networks have been happy and, um, you know, we've been getting kudos and good job guys and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a great season. You guys did a wonderful job. So thank you. Um, all right. So Clepton Gilroy asks, would you consider these last three seasons on Discovery to be the iteration of BattleBots that most closely resembles your vision of the series? On a scale from like zero to 100, how close are we to the dream? Well, we all have our own dreams, right? Trey's dream might be different than my dream, than different than Aaron's dream and Chris's dream and Tom's dream. But to my, for my personal, what I've always envisioned the show to be, I, don't know, I think we're at like 90%. Because I, I know Trey and I have always wanted it to be a, a true sports show. Real. Take the sports seriously. And I love all the fun stuff we did on Comedy Central, but it wasn't maybe as presented as much of a sport as it should have been. Yeah. Um, that said, the flip side to that is I love, I'm a silly person. So I love all the humorous stuff we did on Comedy Central. And remember three seasons ago where we did some of that um, humorous stuff on our first season on Discovery where Chris and Kenny, like were following Shark Hope right into the bathroom and that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. A lot of people didn't like it, but I thought that. So I, I think a little, if we had a little more fun little bits like that, maybe one per episode and a little bit more behind the scenes technical stuff. Like I'm kind of hoping Pete, the bot whisperer starts to ease more into maybe a Bill Nye role um, where he explains more of the super nerdy technical stuff. And I loved, loved like the exposés on Uppercut's weapon and Saw Blaze's Saw that we had this season. So good, yeah. So good, so more of that stuff. So Jenny and Pete might be able to take more of that on um with a little more stupid stuff humor um and the fight card format which is brilliant and perfect um yeah, it's great that's perfect that solves so many problems because back in the day it was like you don't get one fight then i'm out or two fights if we do double elimination now it's like we can have as many fight cards as we want depending on the amount of hours and then we do a tournament it's awesome it's perfect so um it, what, if so we're at 90 i think just with those little tweaks we'd be for me we'd be at 100 so we're super close Makes sense to me. All right, next question comes from Zach Lytle. Uh, he's the captain of Scorpios. With intro songs, I want, I want you, specific intro songs for each team. <laughs> yes, everybody <laughs> wants that. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, when do we get to know what the new Hexbug toys are? Uh, so every year, Hexbugs, of course, usually visits the set, and they couldn't do that this year because of COVID. Right. Um, they keep their eyes on the bots that um, they it's a combination of who the fans love, who the retail buyers like, which is super important, and um, who what's going to be easy to manufacture based on the tooling and the molding and all that stuff. Right. Um, so they then come up with their list. They ask us to come up with our list and ultimately 
their list, you know, that ho hopefully there's a, me a mind meld and there's a meeting of the minds, but ultimately their list is going to win out because of the tooling and the manufacturing. Um, right. And usually their list is, is great. It's awesome. Um, I do know who the next two Hexbugs rivals will be. I don't think I can say who it is yet. Did they announce that yet? No. Well, that's the thing. There's no Toy Fair this year, which is probably what's right. um, like driving Zach's question. Right. Um, I do know who it is, but I don't think I should say it because I just don't know um, what they. I can't jump the gun on Hexbugs, obviously. Yeah, don't jump the gun on Hexbugs. We don't. We don't want that. Right, but there will be. You know, from this tournament, that process will happen. It hasn't happened yet, but very soon here, we'll, we should be getting in communications with Hexbugs to look at the 2020 tournament and determine who the. It'll probably be the 2022 or late 2021 toys will be. Cool. Um, all right, and then we have another question from Gigabyte Captain John Mladnik, who asks, do you ever wish you were still competing? And if so, what type of robot would you build? Um, I definitely miss competing. It was fun back in the day when Trey and I had Law Machine and Ginsu. That was fun. The, the thrill of getting up there and that adrenaline rush you feel is amazing. I don't think we could compete at the level people are competing at these days because the, the repairs and the damage and just all the iterations you have to make on your robot and the hours you have to put in. I don't think, I don't think Trey and I could survive. Um, but I would love to get up there for like one fight and just go for it. Um, I would definitely be down for just figuring out a way to do Ginsu, Ginsu 3.0. Cause I still think the saw blades for wheels idea that Trey originally had could do something just stupid to another robot. If you really could just gear it in such a way that those saw blades could dig into somebody, just run over them and just trash them. Um, and it would be just silly and stupid. So I like that. I also wanted, I always, always wanted to build a robot like an animal house that would just eject 10,000 marbles and the other robots would just get all loosey goosey all over the place. But that's again, so. <laughs> Uh, like that. All right, cool. My favorite um, robot, though, this is a terrible story and people will hate me, but we fought Jim Smentowski uh, in, in uh, a smaller event with our mini Ginsu. And his wife, Erica, actually worked for BattleBots for a while. So this was a joke. This was a horrible thing I did, but everyone was cool with it because we're all friends. I basically put a picture of Erica on top of, uh, top of Ginsu. So Jim would have very, would be very um, hesitant to attack us. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> we have a question from L. Irene, who lives in Malaysia and wants to know, Hi, Greg. I'm curious about how you first got into robot combat, debuting with your team's bot, Ginsu. And are you proud of the community you grew with BattleBots? Um, so the, the origin story is actually was La Machine. And the, the way it went down was Mark Satrakian paged me so this is 1994 he paged me on my little pager and said come to this thing i have a ticket for you you'll like it and i go to this thing i don't know what the thing is and it's basically robot fighting it's robot wars san francisco 1994 there's no seats left so i have to stand by the entrance to the arena uh, i keep getting yelled at by their stage manager guy um but i see this array of these crazy robots you know the master by mark Zatrakian, julie bot by uh by Will, Pete's bot, uh, Gigan, um, Caleb Chung, who built the Furby, built this wooden box. It was hilarious. There, there was a robot that's called Spiny Norman. It was just all nails. It was hilarious. It was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. Now, I would have just 
thought this was a great thing. And thanks, Mark, for inviting me. And I'm done. But fast forward to a few months later, Peter Abramson, the bot whisperer, calls me and he says, Greg, so what are you going to build for, for next year, 95? And I'm like, what? Build? I don't know. Should I build something? He's like, yeah, you got to build something. I'm going to build something. You got to build something. So I'm like, okay. So I, I literally at that point, take, I'm taking the garbage out. I live in a warehouse building in Oakland. And my neighbor, Gage Koshua, who everyone knows is Vlad the Impaler, um, is taking his garbage out. And I'm all, Gage, have you heard of Robot Wars? And he's like, yeah, I think I saw that on, on the news. And I go, Gage, you want to build a robot with me? He goes, yeah. And so Gage and I built a robot. We got Trey involved. Trey's mom gave us uh, 600 bucks. And we built Law Machine. And the rest is history. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of the community that um, I've had a little bit of help creating. Um, I mean, the builders are the best people on the planet Earth and they build amazing things and they're super just creative, amazing people who have this drive and tenacity to just inspire the world to make stuff. And my proudest moment is all the kids who come into BattleBots with their signs and wanting to see these robots. And it's a testament to the builders, how inspirational they are and how inspirational the sport is to getting people to want to learn to make stuff, which is I'm so glad that I had a little bit of a little bit of influence on that. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, good thing uh, you and Gage happen to be taking your trash out at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, I probably would have never built a robot, and he would have. Actually, he would have never <laughs> known about it. So it was good. It was serendipity. Yeah, and um, I think if I recall the first time you were on our show back in 2019, you also kind of got into um, the story of, of your beginnings and, and getting into the sport. So if anybody hasn't heard that one, I definitely recommend it because it's a it's a really great story and uh, of how we got here today. Um, so we have uh, questions here from BattleBots fan Mary Catherine Carr, uh, and she has Hi, multiple Mary. questions. <laughs> we all love yeah. Mary, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. So yeah. um, he says, have you considered having an official presence at other live events like Norwalk Havoc, which just happened over the weekend, and, and Motorama? Well, would love to. I mean, the more synergy we can have with the with these events, the better. It's just tough. You know, we're, I mean, BattleBots, people think all the time that BattleBots is this huge corporation. The emails I get sort of insinuate, like, we're some giant, you know, monolithic thing. It's like Trey and Greg and, and you know, Jason, Matt, and Sean, and Pete at the shop. That's it. That's BattleBots. That is it. Yeah. Okay. During the event, we hook up with Whale Rock, and we've got hundreds of people on staff. But once that event's over, it's just BattleBots is just us and and our and our producers and friends at Whale Rock. Um, and we are so busy all the time that it's tough to to look away from. But like right now, we're in post production madness. We've got all the editors. Aaron's managing all of them. Um, we're doing all the social media. We're also getting ready for the next event. So it's difficult to even break away and go check out something like Norwalk. But we absolutely support all that stuff. Um, we posted about Norwalk on our on our Facebook page so people could check it out. Hopefully that helped those guys get some get some views. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the more the more, you know, hopefully there's a day down the road where some of this stuff can be delegated and, and we can build more partnerships with events around the world, ultimately. Yeah, that, that would be cool. And a uh, big shout out to both Luke and Kyle, who were fearless commentators for what was, I think, a 13 or 14 hour, uh, you know, lightning session <laughs> of, of uh, Havoc. So uh, shout out there. Um, so next question for Mary, aside from tuning into the show and engaging with teams on social media, what else can the fans do to help grow both the show and the sport? 
Um, good question. I mean, the more, just tell your friends. There's so many people that still don't know BattleBots exist. I mean, so BattleBots blew up on TikTok, right? I posted a fight and it got 40 million views. And we Whoa. went to 25,000 followers that it took a year to get to 2 million followers in like two months. We just went berserker mode on um, TikTok. However, if you look at the comments, it's like people don't know it's a show on Discovery. Um, I'm having, I had some work done here at my house and the, the dudes are all like, oh, you do BattleBots? I love that show. It's like, yeah, it's still on, man. Check it out. It's like out <laughs> tomorrow night. And like people don't know. So tell your friends that it's still on. Tell them to watch it. Um, you know, it's all over the place. It's cable. It's Amazon. It's Hulu. It's direct. It's uh, Discovery Plus. I mean, you, you can find it. Um, and if you're overseas, um, sign. If you're in the UK, sign that petition. I for, you know we should, hopefully you can find a link to that. But um, we've got to get in the UK because I mean, here's the deal. My son's a skateboarder. He built a renegade skate park in Oakland in a, in a school playground. The city came and tried to tear it down. Him and his friends put up a, a petition online to keep the skate park going uh, with the support of the school community. It got 10,000 signatures. That UK petition to get BattleBots into the UK, I think it has like, what, 2,000 signatures, 3,000? We've got to do better than that. We've got to get people to from the UK. It's got to be people from the UK but they got to sign that, that thing and get the word out because the more we can expand BattleBots, the more uh, the sport can grow and the more other leagues can pop up and more other local events can pop up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. I think that we, we've definitely shared that, that petition link before and it's probably time to, to share it again. Cause I do think that there is a lot of uh, audience, a lot of appetite out there to have it come to the UK. Um, and it's, it's interesting because when we went to Motorama, this was now uh, last year, even the people that we could overhear like sitting next to us in the audience were like, man, this is so cool. I wish I could watch this somewhere else. And Kyle yeah. did a really good job of uh, being like, hey, you can, it's called BattleBots and, and it's still on. And so even like there, it would be cool if there was a way to have like BattleBots ambassadors or something uh, at, at these types of events to just kind of like spread the word. Cause uh, it, I think, I think that a lot of um, there's like a groundswell at these, at these uh, events that are like looking for something and for whatever reason, just don't know BattleBots is back, which yeah. is crazy. The good, the good news is a lot, obviously there's a ton of overlap between those events and BattleBots. So like, you know, Valkyrie will be at the smaller event and, and Jameson will be there, Charles Guan, and, and they let the people know what's going on. But you're right. I mean, more presence for BattleBots. Ultimately, just more presence. You know, BattleBots is the one that's lucky enough to be on TV. So the more we can blow that up, the more the local events will, you know, all ships will rise, right? Um, and ultimately, with the ultimate goal being that the sport rises, because it's the greatest vehicle I've found to get kids especially into engineering and wanting to learn to make stuff. Um, and as I get older and I have this gray beard and I look at myself in the mirror and go like, God, dude, you're old. The thing I'm most happy about is that, is that, you know, is that I've had a little bit uh, something to do with something that made a dent in the universe that um, inspired kids to want to become makers. And that's, I love that. That's great. I can, that's I can, uh, I can die peacefully knowing that I helped out with that a little bit. 
<laughs> um, all right. So next question from Mary. Has Discovery ever considered giving BattleBots enough funding to pay the builders, or did that small stipend end for good with ABC? That small stipend ended for good with ABC, unfortunately. Um, in fact, Discovery doesn't pay the full amount of the budget. They only pay about 70% of it. Um, the good news with Discovery, though, as opposed to ABC, is that they were much more lax on the sponsorship. ABC had very strict rules for who could sponsor a robot and for how much and how many sponsors a robot could have. And all that kind of got thrown out the window with Discovery. Discovery still doesn't want someone they're selling ads to to sponsor a bot because that's a conflict of interest. But they don't care how much a bot builder gets from a sponsor or how many sponsors a bot builder has. Of course, there's some logistics in terms of how many stickers you can actually put up on the on the TV screen that appears with the sponsor logos on it. But nonetheless, sponsor-wise, it's great on Discovery. Um, build stipend-wise, it's it's not great and it sucks. And what what we what BattleBots ultimately needs is a sponsor, a show sponsor that can underwrite build stipends for builders and or prize money that would be distributed in a sort of an egalitarian way across the fight cards in the tournament. So builders at least know when they compete, they can get some cash. Um, yeah. That hasn't happened yet. I would love it if like an Autodesk or just a big giant company who's into, you know, who has the same goals that BattleBots has, getting kids into wanting to be engineers just throws some money into this that we can then put into the builder's hands. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and then uh, her last question is, what's your favorite part of the show? What do you feel works really well? And what do you want to improve on? Um, I love the fight cards. Um, I love how we, we generate a sort of arc to a tournament, a world championship tournament. I love having international bots, which was a bummer this year, not having so many. Uh, I love having the live audience. That's my favorite thing. Um, the one thing I don't like that I think we can prove on is the show is a little rinse and repeat. And that's because of the, the crazy post-production schedule we're under um, where we just have to jam these shows out. I mean, literally, I won't get the final master of Thursday's episode until tonight. Wow. Yeah. So that shows you how crazy the post team is working. And how, how, you know, I mean, Aaron sends these things at three o'clock. You've all talked to Aaron. He, send this, he sends these videos to me at three o'clock in the morning, tonight. So he's up. I mean, he hasn't stopped working since, you know, when we, when we finished the live shoot, Aaron went right into post mode and has been jamming ever since. Everyone has, you know. And, um, and so I wish we had more time in the post schedule to experiment a little bit with the, the act structure. Because right now it's very formatted. Yeah, and that, 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 and that would give yeah. us that would give us that room to maybe add a funny little thing in there or a more science thing. You know, this season we may have only had three of those science moments with Jenny. You know, the uppercut one and the sawblaze one. Um, it wouldn't it be great to do one of those every episode? I loved that the uppercut segment, and I know that uh, it was a, a big hit uh, with with the fans on on Facebook and in, in our chat. So, I mean, I get I get the the you know restrictions and and whatnot, but those those are really cool. Um, and I know, but, but imagine what it takes to get that because you got to get oh, all yeah. you know. There's all the stock footage. You got to vet all the science. There's a producer has to write it all and make sure it's it's real. Um, then you got to carefully do all the motion graphics. So you got to hire an outside person who does motion graphics. It's a, it's a, those segments is, is a big undertaking. 
For and, sure. And it and in a time crunch, you can only do like I said, three of them maybe. But yeah, with more time, maybe we can do ten of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's definitely an undertaking, a very big undertaking, and uh, we appreciate them uh, when when they're there. So uh, and more cool. more chucking washing machines. We got to have more of that. Yeah, <laughs> always a fan of that. Yeah. Um, so Michael Clements has a two part question. Do you think that BattleBots could benefit from an online companion show to properly and officially explain judges' calls, show post-fight damage, et cetera, outside of uh, time constraints of TV? Aaron and I, and, and we've always wanted to do that. We've been talking for years about doing that. Um, we love that Will and a lot of the other people, um, the fan show, even, even Chris Rose now doing the Instagram Lives. Um, and Hexbugs has their show. We love all those shows. Your show, of course, amazing. Um, but ultimately, one day, if we had a shoulder content where we could have the judges on to describe why did Hydra win, you know? Why the hell did you do that? Um, and, and have the builders on to describe something else, it would be fantastic. We've always wanted that kind of, um, you know, talking, you know, Walking Dead has Talking Dead, right? Yeah. Um, some, something like that. Oh, that'd be that'd be super super cool. We just um, have to we just have to the network's got to sign off on it, and you know, but th that's why Discovery Plus is such a cool thing because maybe with that, they, they you know we that something like that can happen. Uh, so Michael has a follow up question: Who would win, Razor versus Hypnodisc? Well, I mean Razor. <laughs> <laughs> Razor wins. Razor's got to win. That's like uh, that that I feel so bad for Razor. This is why the fight card format being curated in quotes uh, as opposed to computer you know our stat driven is so much better because we had razor come all the way from the uk to uh what was it long beach to to fight in our i think it was our first ever battle bots and you know and he got he got the computer the algorithm put him up against us Steven Feltz robot, which was just a brick and he couldn't pierce it. And it was oh. a terrible fight. And it was terrible, terrible for those guys to come all the way just to have that fight. Um, so I, that's why I think it's very good that the, at least the fight card portion of the show is got that curation that Aaron does so well of this bot's going to fight that bot, And if he loses, then he goes down a notch and fights these kind of bots. And then if he wins, he can go up a notch and fight these kind of bots. He does have a rubric. Um, but it, it minimizes the chance of those of those matchups. Uh, so we have a related question from Dale Bruce. Will technical T-Rex be a part of the crew next season, perhaps as a helper for the bot whisperer or a temporary fill-in for Farouk? I just think, I think technical T-Rex should hang out with horse dude in the audience and they both can <laughs> just dance the whole time. Ooh, that could be its own spinoff show. Yeah, I mean, half hour of horse dude and technical T-Rex dancing to the hits, the plot <laughs> hits. I love it. I love it. Uh, so Alexander Archer has a couple of questions. Is there any way we can see the first two seasons of the reboot that aired on ABC? They're not showing up on any streaming service or on demand. That's totally up to ABC. I wish we had control over that, but we don't. One thing you can do, though, is on ABC's uh, YouTube channel, they've created a playlist called Just the Fights. Um, and I think there's two of them, one for season one, season two. It's not the full episodes, but it's probably most of the fights for those episodes. And if you just go to battlebots.com slash video 
and scroll all the way down the page, we've taken that playlist and made it into a um, clickable archive. And we've done oh. that for all the videos. So there's, if you go to battlebots.com slash video, there's a ton of content a lot of people probably don't know about. So check that out. That's awesome. That is good to know. Um, are you happy the rules are going to be updated next season as a result of all the controversial fights, particularly Beta versus Rotator and Huge and Hydra that occurred this season? Uh, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, I'm part of the committee that makes the rules. Um, and, you know, those, those decisions happen. I always say don't blame the judges. Blame BattleBots because the judges probably don't have a mechanism within the rules to render a decision that seemed more fair to the audience. Um, they're working with what they got. And there's always been this teeter-totter of, you know, is, is damage just weapon damage or can it be wedge pushing and shoving damage? There's that teeter-totter there. Aggression, is it just weapon aggression teetering this way? Or is it pushing and shoving aggression teetering this way? And obviously in ABC seasons one and two, and even in like the first season of Discovery, the teeter-totter was way towards weapon aggression and damage. So much so that, let's say, robots like Duck got screwed over. Um, so we've been teetering the teeter-totter back to, to even it out, but maybe we did a little too much because it opened the door for Hydra to win that fight and Beta to win that fight. Although most, I pulled the internet and I think 63% thought Beta should have won that fight, which is interesting. Um, for me, this is just me talking, and this, I'm not any way cl close to being the entire voice of the rule team. There's a lot of people who, who's, who will make the ultimate decision, and it won't be made lightly, and it won't be made in a vacuum, and the builders will have input, etc. But if you're just asking me, I would like to be in a world where we don't have a teeter-totter at all. It's like damage is damage. If it does real damage, I don't care if it's pushing, shoving, weapon, arena hazards, whatever. It's damage. Uh, aggression is aggression whether it's weapon, pushing, shoving, whatever, it's aggression. However, here's what I would like to do. If all you're doing is pushing and shoving, you are not gonna be able to get all of a certain category of points. You're not gonna be able to get all the aggression points if all you do is shove and push and wedge. You're not gonna be maybe to get all the control points, maybe the damage points. So use point deductions as opposed to these laborious definitions of what damage and aggression are. Just let those be common sense. And then if you overly wedge and overly push, which ultimately can be boring, it's what killed the Comedy Central show, you don't get all the points. So it sort of biases it towards using your weapon, which is what we all wanna see. But it still leaves the door open for Duck to win or for Black Dragon when their weapon went out halfway through the match and they instantly pivot to becoming the most heroic wedge fighter they can still win um, because we've seen in the past when that happens, maybe they lose when they should have won. So it's all a balancing act. And the thing I like to say to, to these people who get triggered and email BattleBots and say, it's fake. It's a reality show. You guys suck. It's, it's like it, BattleBots is not fake. It is a real sport that's growing and evolving. And we will absolutely screw things up from time to time, but we will absolutely do our best to fix it. And that's what we'll do for season uh, 2021. I think that's uh, the most that anybody could hope for. So that's yep. uh, that's great. Uh, so what exactly is the selection committee looking for when deciding which bots to put in the championship tournament to win the nut? Uh, obviously, it's, it's a combination of things. So a win-loss record is very important. But 
how you fought maybe even more important. Um, so if you hero like let's take Rotator, right? Rotator has had has fought heroically in all of their fights, but hasn't won all of them. Um, so should they, because of their of their bad win loss record, not be in the top thirty two? When someone with a better win loss record who didn't fight as heroically as Rotator get in the top thirty two? We do not think so. And if people disagree with that, so be it. But on our show, it's 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 the quality of how you fought combined with your strength of schedule, which is how who you fought, if, they, if they're a hard fight or an easy fight, combined with um, your win-loss record, combined with your pedigree and your history, um, and combined with your reliability. Like, yeah, that bot may have fought really well, but there's they can't get through five fights. They're going to crap out on fight one. Um, combined with, um, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if it's like two and one, two and one on the edge, and we only have one spot left and it's between a vertical spinner and a lifter, we might give it to the lifter because lifters are underrepresented. Yeah, there, there's a lot to consider. Um, and, uh, I know I speak for everyone when I say we're very excited to see, uh, the, the round of 32 and, and, you know, the seed placement for, for all those bots. So a lot to look forward to. You will, you will, it'll all be revealed, uh, this Thursday night at the end of the episode. Ooh, can't wait. Um, yeah. so, a who do, wait, who, so who do you guys think the number one seed is? Ooh, what a good question. Um, course you need you really need to see the last episode but as it stands now i i'm would i i don't know is blood sport a crazy a crazy nomination what, what do you guys think and they've had a great strength of schedule and some really dominant wins i i don't think it's crazy to say blood sport i wouldn't think it's crazy to say hydra those would be my two but I, i'd lean blood sporty yeah but hydra's quality of fight on that second match yeah, uh, showed a lot great. of ingenuity and showed a lot of cleverness. I think that that's, that's going to be fine. They fought a great what, competitor. What about Uppercut? What about Uppercut? Yeah, oh, they're scary. Great. Definitely my favorite bot now, I think, going into into the final rounds. I'm just so excited every single time that bot gets up. I'm glued to the television set. And they've they've definitely mastered the kung fu of their weapon. I mean... Yeah, yeah. Got to see uppercuts next fight. Uh, you know, it started off with Gemini. Okay, big deal. But uh, let's let's it's see what the next one. Yeah. When does this air? When does this podcast air? Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Okay. Well, uh, everyone will know that uppercut is fighting Hydra in the first That's fight. Right. Yep. Oh, I can't wait one. to see that one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> will will Jake be a bike rack or will he be a robot? We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> Time will tell. Um, so and let uh, me just say one thing about that is is we totally want to allow modifications to bots. We love that. We like people being crafty and wily coyote behind the scenes. Um, there are rules; they have to get them approved. But we never want someone to do that um, at the at the at the detriment of their active weapon use. So there'll be some there'll be some tweaks to the rules on that. You can absolutely make some modifications, but not at the expense of your active weapon. Yeah, and, and I think that makes sense because I think modifications is, is still part of the game and it's something that should be there, but 
like you said, not not at the expense of you know, like what makes their bot their bot, which is their weapon. One of my goals in life is to never do something that they have to make a law against doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's a very good point because you know a lot of people were mad about Hydra, and okay, um, but we don't want to make draconian rules that just you know put the hammer down. It's like we want to see innovation and we want to see cool thinking and and strategy and all that kind of stuff so that's why you know you got to take a breather let the internet calm down gather up the, the stakeholders talk to the builders and then hopefully the the changes to the rules can just be these small tweaks and not these huge swapping things right because ultimately you you want to see de-icers and you want to see things that you know little you know you, how do you solve the huge puzzle well you know maybe a bike rack is a good idea as long as you use your damn weapon in conjunction with it right Think if Jake used his weapon with the bike rack. That could have been more, a lot more interesting. And honestly, that's kind of what I was hoping would happen in that fight. But it didn't. And I have mud on my face now. But so be it. <laughs> well, it definitely created a, a big talking point for this season. So that's, yeah. that's good in itself. But um, So a, a question here from a builder we all know and love and miss this season. Monsoon Captain Tom Brewster asks... Yeah. Any chance of a BattleBots UK or EU? Something, something, unused arena in Scottish warehouse? Something, something? Yes, yes. Yeah, we have Tom Gutteridge, um, you know, the preeminent producer of RoboWare. Yes, I would love to do that. That is so much. That is such a big yes. We've got to get that, that petition. Like, we got to get at least 20,000 signatures on that thing. If my son can get 10,000 skateboarders, in, in you know the Bay Area, in Berkeley and Oakland, basically, to, to try to save a skate park at a school, the UK can get twenty thousand signatures on that, on that, on that, on that petition. Um, with that, we could show our international distributor that there's real interest in the region, and that can lead to all kinds of stuff. But without the interest, the um, the TV people over there are just looking at the the kind of the poor reboot of robot wars and our poor uh, performance on spike when our show went over there which was basically the abc show which the uk audience thought was kind of cheesy we want to do it um but we need your help uk citizens of the uk unite we need to we need to make this happen yeah we have a related question from uh, this week in robot combat host uh yevin woodrow who is also British and, and you know wanted to know if Discovery Plus is available now in several countries. Is there any way BattleBots could be shown on the, you know Discovery Plus if a TV channel fails to pick up the show? Uh, hopefully, I mean, so the way it works is we have an international distributor, NBC Universal, who distributes the show internationally. Typically, they sell the show to Discovery because Discovery has such a wide uh, array of international channels. Um, so in nearly every country that they sell it to internationally. It's, it winds up being a Discovery Channel half the time, probably more than half the time. So that could absolutely happen, but it's not like our relationship with Discovery in the US is gonna make that happen. It's going to be the relationship between NBC Universal and the foreign uh, entity, the foreign Discovery entity that makes that happen. Mm. Um, and the more interest in the region for the show, the better. So if BattleBots is not on where you are, somehow get a groundswell of people to convince local broadcasters that that you want that show um yeah i mean it's worked for star trek it's worked for cagney and lacy and friday night fights 
make it happen for BattleBots. Um, fortunate, you know, everyone wants it. Everyone wants it to be on simultaneously. At this point in time, international people do have to wait, which sucks. Um, but I will tell you that Tom Gutteridge cuts the international versions of BattleBots. They have far less commercials. They have all of the fights and they will include the bounty hunters. So they will, in many respects, be um, have a lot more content than the USA show. Oh, wow. So Very worth waiting for. Hmm. So we have a, a similar question from Matthew Cahoy, uh, Ryan Hunter, and Alex Valentine, who wanted to know, with Discovery Plus, do you think down the road you might you know, do a show with smaller weight classes. Um, I think 30 pound event would be a blast. We also have similar questions, you know, from, you know, a few other people out there. Uh, well, what do you think about introducing some other uh, weight classes into the umbrella of BattleBots? Yeah, you know, um, different weight classes is something we've always been interested in. Obviously we did it back in the Comedy Central days. We had four weight classes. Um, we, when IQ, we had middleweights, we had 120 pounds. Obviously we know 30 pounds and the stuff that was happening um, at Norwalk and other places is very popular. Uh, I don't have a good answer for you yet, but it's something that we absolutely think is there's something might be there, maybe even for younger uh, builders um, that could make some sort of new BattleBots content. So the answer is we like it. Can we make a show out of it? Probably. Is there a broadcaster that wants that? That's the, that's the challenge. Mm. This is, uh, this is actually one of my favorite questions. I call it a magic wand question, but Tara Fisher asks, if budget was not a factor, what else would you like to do with BattleBots? Oh, man. So, okay. So Trey and I had this idea for years called BattleBots Extreme, which is anything you can fit in a 40-foot shipping container. You take it out in the middle of the salt flats, and you activate it, and you fight the other guys, whatever he fits in his shipping container. And it's just this giant scaled up version of BattleBots out in the salt flats. No arena. Um, everyone's just well away. It's all remote. Drones are filming the whole thing. And it's just, it's the, it's the Godzilla version, ultimately. I mean, that doesn't sound out of the realm of possibility. It would be cool, uh, right? Imagine what Inertia Labs would build, right? Could you imagine that? They would kick that, they would kick that ass so much. It would be so amazing. You know, you know what I would do is I would just make my shipping container sprout legs, and then that's that's my bot. Yeah, just and just like sit on the other shipping container. <laughs> no, it could be, it could just, it would, just, and you don't, you don't even like really care about the rules because you're out there. There's no audience, so it's like the safety thing. Of course, you have to have some safety protocols, of course, yep. but you really just try to maximize the crazy creativity, inventiveness of of people, and just whatever comes out of that shipping container is what you're gonna fight. You might remember this, but back in the 80s, there was um, a giant uh, fighting robots movie. I think it wasn't called Robot Wars. I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it, it had a, it tied in a lot with the Cold War at the time. The Russian robot jocks that was robot, robot jocks. jocks. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, one of the things that inspired me about, you know, that movie is that they did have the arena and, and the audiences outside. And it's like you could put the essentially the box around the people and then just have these bots kind of fight outside of that, uh, of outside of that box. Um, of course in, in the movie, there wasn't that much protection. So sometimes like a 20 story robot would fall into the crowd and, you know, right. chaos. <laughs> too, but I mean, um, you know, if we, if we really had 
a lot more money than we do. I mean, the first thing would be to get more of that money into the hands of the builders. That would be the first thing. The second thing would be is to build a, a, a permanent facility. So BattleBots could be going on year round, different weight classes, um, live streams on Twitch, shoulder content, um, and then maybe twice a year, the big event, right? The world championship. Mm. Or maybe four times a year, it's the qualifiers for the one time a year, it's the world championship. That, you know, if we could have that kind of permanent facility, that would be fantastic. That's always been the dream, but it's super expensive. Yeah. And do you think, you think that a permanent facility in one location outweighs like a mobile facility? Well, that's the second dream is, is ha you'd have two arenas. One you can take on the road um, and then one that you have permanent. But the good, the, I think permanent would outweigh it because it's not d as difficult for people to come to you as it is to take that damn arena to them, right? Mm. It's just like a Southwest airline flight as opposed to eight trucks, 50 grips, seven days of setup and eight days of terror. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's interesting about the the community though how they've they've kind of formed these pockets these incubators where you have these regional teams in the Northeast you know in Florida in parts of California in parts of the Midwest and you know even in the UK and and Brazil and like if you were able to have like regional qualifiers regional events and bring that kind of you know geo specific element to you know, what culminates into that, you know, that, uh, that big, huge event, you know, um, at, it, at your one would, main it location. Would, it would be fantastic. You just need a, a much, a much quicker arena, a new version of the arena that's easier to set up. And it's difficult because the forces that these bots unleash to the arena that of course keeps everyone safe are crazy. And every year we get the arena back, um, you know, there's these things like, wow, it, 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 it put a, it, it dented the spike rail that much. Oh my God, it did that. It did this. It did this. Of course, it's all safe and it's all good, but there's so many repairs that have to be made to get, bring it back up to hundred percent. And it's just to take it on the road, you know, the road where it would get, you just need a, you need a new design basically. Mm. But, you know, I mean, that's the hope, you know, this, 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 the sport gets more successful, more popular and the funding for that becomes available. Yeah. Again, we need someone like, you know, a big, a big manufacturer, something or rather, to just love us and want. You know, Elon Musk has to adopt it. <laughs> I'll make a few phone calls. We're just, we're just two cousins. <laughs> if uh, I have a question here from Jesse Mullen, who wanted to know if, if Discovery did give you a five extra hours of programming, where would you like to see those five hour drops? Would it be in fights? Would it be in mini tournaments? Would it be more behind the scenes content? Uh, well, first and foremost, that would really help to solve that problem of having to have some robots be in and some robots be out. The more hours we get, the more robots we can have. And the tough decision on so-and-so versus so-and-so in or out goes away. So that would be first for me. Second would be probably more, you know, being able to play with more things like bounties and maybe those extra weight classes um, and make more science content. Just sort of the things that we all sort of want the show to have and doesn't quite have as much as we would like at this point in time. Hmm. I have a question from Stephanie Sayers Farmer, who is married to Slamo teammate Randy Farmer, who asks, how do you choose the judges each year? And uh, who are the, some of the judges uh, possibly lined up for next season? Um, so the judges, you know, this is a good question because many, many people 
get pissed off about the controversial decisions and want to fire the judges. And there has never been a panel of judges from Robot Wars 1994, when this all started, um, through BattleBots Comedy Central, where every year we had a little bit of a different panel, through BattleBots ABC, where we had, you know, celebrities, um, through the current incarnation where we have actual real bot builders, through where we did this thing for CBS, where it was Peter Abramson, Mark Satrakian, and Frank Jenkins, the guy who actually writes the rules, um, to Robo Games, where I was a judge with Grant Imahara and like Fuzzy, there has never been a panel that hasn't had at least one or two crazy controversial decisions. Um, because it's robots fighting, and sometimes there's a weird fight that's hard to judge. Um, case in point, more than half the internet thought Beto beat Rotator. And I'm scratching my head saying, Rotator should won. Um, I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, so it's always going to be difficult. The, but what we decided upon after the ABC, where we had celebrities do it, and many of them were great. I thought Jessica Chobot was great. Allison was great. Love Fawn. Definitely would love to have Fawn back at some point. Um, you know, one season, almost the panel changed almost every, on season three, you know, the panel changed almost all the time. It was like Grant one day, and then it was Simone Yetz another day, and yada, yada, yada. It just, it makes more sense for consistency's sake. Um, mm. to have three builders who, who have built robots before, who've been with the sport forever. Lisa's been with it since, what, 12 years old? Probably earlier. Jason Bardis was there at the, 19, at, at the very first Robot Wars in 1994. Jason Bardis was there. Um, uh, Derek Young came to the very first BattleBots in 1999. He won, he won something, I forget. I think he won the middleweight um, with pressure drop. Um, you know, so these people know the sport. Um, do they make the right call every time? No, um, but no one would. No one ever would. And what's great about having the same judges every single, like consistently, is what we do uh, after the end of the season is we always have a debrief. We always get together. This year we'll have to do it on Zoom, unfortunately. But we go over the controversial fights. We talk about the scores. Why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? Didn't you see this? Didn't, wasn't that obvious? Um, oh, really? I didn't see that either. Okay, I understand your decision now. We We talk about the, the bads and the goods. And then we sit there with our rule team and we come up with better ways to improve the judges' guides and the design rules and the tournament rules. Because um, one day we'll get to a spot where things feel more consistent and better and there's less controversial decisions. But I'm telling you right now, they're never going to go away. There's always going to be controversial decisions. There is in every single sport. We will strive for consistency, but the robots change. Hmm. Um, like I described earlier, there's that teeter-totter effect where, you know, you don't want one type of robot always winning. So you've got to open some doors for control bots to win. But at the same time, they can't, you don't want them to win in a boring way. Um, so you just keep tweaking it. I mean, yeah. how many times the NHL change the rules? They change them every year. And the other thing I would say is I hear a lot about inconsistency. And some of that is absolutely valid. And, and BattleBots needs to pay attention to that and, and, and be, do better, especially like, you know, the ref call with Tombstone, totally agree, you know, that needs to be more consistent, 100%. Um, but what people got to remember is the rules change a little bit every year, and the yep. TV show, they have the time to explain it all. So some perceived inconsistencies are really rule changes.
What about like uh, you know approaching it with a with a pack the court mindset and and potentially adding two more judges just so there's not that one pivotal swing vote in you know in a judge's decision where that one person has to dread waking up and checking their Twitter in the morning and you know you have a larger pool of of judges. Yeah, no, uh, the, the rules actually allow that right now because we knew that that could happen in the future. Um, it's just a logistical thing. You know, it's hard to have five people, you know, mm -hmm. camera, wardrobe, make it's a TV show. So they got to get, you know, they have to look good on camera. It's just for three versus four. It just adds another magnitude of stuff you have to put in infrastructure you have to provide that the show budget doesn't really afford. Um, you know, again, people have this perception you're on TV. You must be making tons of cash. The show is poor um, and it's it's a struggle. So. I mean, I, I, I want to stick with the current judges we have. We're definitely going to have a meeting to go over everything and, and try to do better. But I think the majority of the decisions were good. There were certainly some what's this season. But if you look at the record of made sense, did make sense, there's a lot more made senses than didn't make senses. Um, and the ones that didn't make sense, we look at and we'll say, okay, was this for real? Was this the right caller? Was it bad? And was it bad because of something not in the rules? Let's fix it. It, but you asked about a short list. Um, I definitely would like to get Fawn. If like one of our judges retires and says they don't want to do it again, would love to get Fawn Davis back. Um, uh, you know, some of the guys on Bombshell, Mike Jeffries is a great guy. I think he would be a great judge. Um, I think Al Kindle would be a great guy to have on the judges panel, but um, he probably still wants to build. You know, the thing is you really do have to retire because once you're a judge, you can't really go back to, to competing. Uh, and there's there's stupid eligibility rules on, on TV that, you know, you have to be away from something for a couple years, you know, so um, maybe not time for Al yet. But but there's a you know, you just look at the at the cast of retired builders um, and probably most of them would be fantastic. I feel like uh, Al Kindle would probably be like the like the, the Russian figure skating judge who would give extra points to all the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you talk about packing the court, you know, there's, I mean, everyone has their biases, you just can't help yeah. it. So, you know, you, you probably if you're thinking that way, you would want to have someone who loves control bots, and someone who loves spinners, and someone who loves innovation, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. If, you know, if you go, yeah, you, I mean, there's, there's maybe that thought process could go into it. But ultimately, what I want is experience, and, and integrity. And I will tell every, you know, I get so many emails that oh, they're biased, they do. You know, they don't they that was their friend you know it's that's such bullshit. these judges are completely um honorable and not not trying to screw anybody around they're making the they feel the, the weight of the entire community on their shoulders when they make these decisions and they do not make them lightly and they're not biased they're not trying to screw anyone over mm -hmm. they're just trying to call it like they saw it and honestly it is so difficult from one position to see a fight when you on tv get to see it from nine positions um, it's oftentimes a different, a different story. Yeah, abs absolutely. We, and you see that in every sport, you know, uh, every, every ump, every ref is, uh, they're all blind. Yeah. Uh, because, and like, like before John got so much flack for uh, tombstone calling him out. I mean, we had a speaker. I mean, I don't want to make excuses cause that was, that was, he, that he should have given more time, let Scorpius disengage really prove that Ray could not show controlled movement and then started the count out. It was early for sure. And we'll fix that. But um, 
But there was a speaker where John was trying to talk to Ray, saying, show me movement. Ray couldn't hear him because at that point, maybe the speaker was scratchy um, because they're COVID, right? They can't be next to each other. Typically, John would be right there and he'd tap Ray on the shoulder. Ray, I need to see some movement. And Ray would say, hold on, let me, I'll show you. But John can't do that. He's like, Ray, I need to see some movement. He's talking through a speaker. He sounds like a stormtrooper. And Ray's in the moment, you know, he may or may not be able to hear. So, you know, it's a lot of the COVID. I don't want to make excuses, but COVID did screw a lot of that up. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's continue our journey down hypothetical lane. I have a question yep. from Adam Matthew Peckett. Uh, also a, a similar question from Michael Bycroft, who wanted to know, if you could have any robot from Robot Wars compete on BattleBots who hasn't, like, already uh, yet participated in BattleBots, who, who would you choose? Oh, so we want all the British flippers. That was the plan for... 2020 is you know uh bronco you know the fate of bronco is sort of unknown at this point um hydra is the new kid on the block but there's this whole cast of british flippers that are like you know that's like the norm over there that's their spinners right and um so we wanted you know um all those guys to come we i think we had three of them coming over for 2020 so that's who we would want to get and hopefully we will get for 2021 so Orion, you know, they'll change their names, right? So Orion, um, I got to look at my notes, but I, you know, I'm forgetting. I'm not, as I get older, I, I screw up these names, but there was a lot of those British flippers that we wanted. Rampage, mm. right? Was it Rampage? Yeah. Mm. I have a question from Joe, uh, Joseph Summers, who uh, has actually a question about the most recent episode that aired. Reading the Extinguisher versus Gruff post-fight report, was there a reason you wouldn't let Extinguisher replace its clipped weapon belt or allow it to start over uh, during the match due to them losing that belt when they were separated? I don't even know what that's about. That's a safety, that's a safety team thing. You'd have to interview Luke about that one. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote this uh, up in our notes this week. So uh, John Flack said that... Uh, he uh, he and Gruff, you know, couldn't couldn't extricate themselves, so they needed to be separated. And during that process, the team that was separating the uh, the bots clipped his weapon belts, came back and told them, "Hey, look, your weapon belt's gone. Just let you know when we restart the fight, your vertical spinner's not going to work." Um, so yeah, so that's that's what he documented in his post fight report. So so that would be, you know, if you ever have Trey on the show, he controls that crew. So ask him that question. That that at when we're hot and heavy in the uh, into the show, that's outside of my, my purview. That's Trey's world. My world is getting the bots onto the stage as quickly as possible with, with the help of Jack's backstage. Um, and then managing all the postponements and the craziness that's happening. Um, but it does say in our rules that if we separate you, there is a chance that damage could be done. Mm. But we have to separate you because um, there could be a dangerous situation. Also because we're under a production crunch. So bot builders are put on notice that the crew bots may have to like crowbar something apart and you may take on some damage and that's just part of what you're going to have to deal with. So that's unfortunate, but it is in the rules that it's something that's an ex expectation you should be aware of. Totally. Totally makes sense. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's I, talk I about didn't read his I didn't read his report, so I was unaware of that. So yeah, apologize for not knowing that. Time for a radical change of subject. Um, okay. I have two guitar-related questions from Aiden James. Woo! The first is, what's your favorite guitar in your collection? Okay. 
Um, well, okay. So for, for this podcast, it has to be La Machine. So I have a guitar that I built out of parts called La Machine. It predates the La Machine, the robot. That's where the name actually came from. Of course, it was stolen from a food processor. But La Machine is a guitar that my friend Aaron brought over. I think it was a really crappy guitar that you'd buy at Sears. And we smashed it. We were teenagers and we thought we were really cool being like the Who, Pete Townsend, and we smashed it. And then I looked at the smash guitar and I thought, oh man, this sucks. I should, this, what a waste. We should uh, fix it. So I, I took the project on myself to put the guitar back together. And I went and I bought the same neck that Eddie Van Halen had because the neck was destroyed. And I threw it on that body with the help of Mark Satrakian, who doweled everything and made it really sweet. And this is all in high school. We're all like, you know, 16 years old. And, um, and then I, I wanted to paint it really cool. And I said, Mark, can you paint this for me? I want it to look like shattered glass, you know, really metal. And so Mark's like, yeah. So Mark painstakingly made a stencil of shattered glass that was beyond my expectations. It was so cool. What I drew originally sucked compared to what he did. And uh, he painted the whole thing, airbrushed it, stenciled it. It was amazing. Um, you know, it was this first thing where I, it was a guitar I actually sort of built. I didn't. I didn't, wasn't a luthier. I didn't cut the wood or anything, but I put the parts together with a lot of help from Satrakian and neighbors who had tools and whatnot. But as a, as a 15 year old kid, I was really proud of it and named it La Machine. And that's like probably my favorite guitar. Second question from Aiden James. <laughs> What's the best guitar shop in Long Beach? Uh, I have no idea. I'm so busy during the show. I can't go out and guitar safari, but Aiden, when you come, uh, we'll go guitar safari and we'll find it. Our, we'll find it together. Guitar Safari sounds awesome. <laughs> That's what, That's what's his face? Uh, Joe Bossamana says, because he buys up all these vintage guitars and goes on a guitar safari. All right. In this same vein, we have a question from Pain Train Captain Evan Arias, who asks, can we have a jam session next season? I'll bring my favorite Jackson guitar with an EMG pickup, EMG pickups, a PV6505 amp and a 2x12 cab with Celestian Vintage 30s. I have no Wait. idea what I just said. Oh, that's no. the, that's the that's that's the nerd guitar side. You you guys are listening to you guys are used to all the robot nerd, you know, insider baseball talk, talking shop. That's total guitar shop talk. Um, yeah, fantastic. No, every year we want we like having a party. Trey throws a big party for all the builders. This year we couldn't do it, of course, because um, of COVID. Uh, but Trey bought everyone these really cool BattleBots hoodies, which was great. Um, but hopefully, man, I hope in 2021 we can have the party because the dream is that we the band will play. Trey and I have been practicing some stupid songs and we want to play like four songs. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely. Evan could get up. Um, uh, you know, anyone who's playing, anyone who's a musician can get up and we'll, we'll have a big old jam session. Um, well, Greg, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, do you have any uh, anything else that you'd like to share? Any last-minute uh, shout-outs? Uh, top 32 revealed this Thursday at the end of the episode. Um, this episode is pretty amazing. Some great fights. Um, the tournament is, um, is off the charts. Two more bounties dropped. Tombstone and Beta dropped Thursday. And then probably, I don't know, probably a month, probably in March, the, the final two, Sonawayachi and Witch Doctor, will drop. Those are amazing. Um, Rusty returns on Thursday, yay! And um, and if you're so inclined and you want to build a robot, go to battlebots.com/build. Read up there, and there's a link to our registration system where you can 
enter an application to be on BattleBots. Maybe you will be the next Tombstone. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Brooklyn, New York, where engineers at a clean technology company accidentally stumbled on the design for a new stealth robot that's capable of swimming in the water and crawling on land. The robot originally began as an experiment in hydroelectric energy, but the company found that the plastic cuttlefish fins they designed for the generator could be used to propel an object through the water and on land. The result is Velox, a small robot that can swim through the water, land on a beach, and go crawling through the sand and whatever's beyond. The idea, eventually, is to make an autonomous version of this robot capable of bringing supplies behind enemy lines or running reconnaissance missions. I also imagine that if they were to get into the BattleBot game, I mean, they must be able to figure out a, a walker version of... I mean, the bot already is a walker version, so just slap a weapon on it. I mean, watching a video of this thing was so crazy the way that it was able to move and it, it looked so seamless. It, it was almost like natural and unnatural um, at the same time. Uh, props. I, f I forget where, where we saw this originally. It was on, on a, um, a BattleBots group post, I believe. So props to whoever found this. Imagine a cybernetic tapeworm that is coming for you. That's what this robot was. It's, it's really, it's really creepy. It makes your skin crawl. It's it's coming for you to lay its eggs. Run. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, I think I think if if we launched Battle Boats, this would be a really dominant design. I think Battle Bots. This uh, this is not that mobile. You know, it it's great on water. It's like ninety eight percent a swimmer and two percent a walker on uh, sand and dirt. It looks almost ridiculous on on the land. Did I did I mention to you guys that I, I just tried to join a new Facebook group that only okay. has about 130 or 160 members? That is for essentially battle boats. Really? Wait, yeah. like seriously, battle boats? Yeah, they have like their 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 profile image is like a preliminary sketch of the box that is. It's very similar to um, a 12 pound box that you would uh, that you would see. Like at Norwalk, but the the bottom is designed to hold uh, like a like a foot or two of water, and uh, you know there's there's plenty of uh, room for action at the surface level, and there's room for for action down below. Oh, interesting. I have not yet officially been granted access to this, but I will keep you in the loop. Hmm. Every time I've ever thought about battle boats, I've always thought of the water going all the way up to the ceiling and it being completely underwater but i guess that that is uh it's not accurate they're talking about actual boats i think that both realms are yours to explore both the surface and you know below you know i, I don't really uh i don't really know how it's going to work yet i haven't really been great at access i i will tell you i've seen battle boats before um at maker fair in san mateo kind of like the the giant maker fair out in california that the main one um, and they literally just filled up a massive 
above ground swimming pool, like the kind that you'd see in anybody's backyard. And uh, they had little remote controlled uh, ships going around and shooting little tiny cannonballs at one another. It was pretty awesome. Trying, trying to sink, you know, basically the, the other boat. Did you know that back in the, the Roman age that uh, outside of the, the grand circuses and the grand uh, gladi- gladiatorial matches that there were instances of um, arenas that were flooded with like nine or 12 feet of water and they would stage literally naval combat in the middle of an arena? This, this is my favorite Roman fact. I, I love this fact, Chris. Oh, that's great. So you could tell us all about the Namakia. <laughs> um, I can't, unfortunately, no. Um, but it sounds really awesome. It sounds like uh, something that would really get the people going back then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the closest thing we have now is like Pirate's Adventure. Have, have, you, have you ever seen Pirate's Adventure? Yes, it, well, we drove by it in uh, in Pigeon Forge. I've I've been to Pirates Adventure in Anaheim, and it's pretty awesome. They've got a full on pirate ship, and uh, there's a lot of you know uh, <laughs> swinging from uh, from the audience onto the ship, um, fighting people falling into the water, uh, and you get to eat chicken with your hands. Uh, it's 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 pretty great. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with Sawblaze Captain Jameson Go. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye. Slash and burn.